0: I, mean, I don't think that we've ever started a show with a guest in the studio.
1: No, I think we started the show and then watched uh, people outside mill about, figuring out what door to go into. <laughs> yeah, t- <laughs>
0: Ted, thank you very much for showing up. We appreciate it. You braved the traffic. You sat in our no, casting no, no, no. couch.
2: He
1: literally flew in.
2: Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, work at the uh, R&D Center in Chula Vista, and I live in Long Beach, so I fly every day from Long Beach to San Diego, and I fly back. So I landed at John Wayne and took an Uber here. Oh, this that is crazy. Was, yeah. Okay, well, hold
0: on, hold on. We need to get the full story, but first got to start the show. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything is... Talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gas the truck show, the truck show, the truck show, oh, oh. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. I put Ted on the spot. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, take it, Ted. it! And he looks at me and goes, I don't know the words. <laughs> Okay, all right. Here we go with our shenanigans. It is the truck show. I'm Lightning. He's Holman, and we have Ted in the studio. Why don't you give us some background on Ted? Yeah, so Ted Monk here
1: is uh, is a friend of mine who uh, we've worked together in various ways. Me a journalist, and him working for various companies. Uh, if you're familiar with the Pro Comp suspension brand, uh, Ted's uh, in charge of, I guess, R and D and engineering, right?
2: Yeah, I'm director of engineering for all the four wheel parts uh, brands, so truck and off road parts.
1: And so some of you may go, "Oh, okay, four wheel parts. You know, it's it's just lift kits and generic stuff." Actually, no. Uh, Ted used to run engineering for Toyota TRD before he went to Pro Comp. So if you've noticed how high quality the Pro Comp kits are, uh, especially the, the the shocks, the geometry, the spindles, the technology, just, that has all come from Ted uh, coming in and, and bringing in a crew of really talented engineers with him. And so we thought it would be cool for him to come in, maybe tell you some, uh, some old war stories from his Toyota TRD days, as well as talk about Pro Comp. And uh, he also races in Baja with a, a group called the Long Beach Racers. And uh, as he alluded earlier, uh, he yeah he flew in. He said, "Oh, I listened to the podcast uh, on my on my flight in." He he was flying. <laughs> yeah, I know, I
0: know. It seems all too weird to me.
1: Yeah, so he's a Long Beach guy. So lives lives in your town. And then uh, commutes by airplane. Lives right over by my clothing store. Yeah. and is, then uh, It's a very small world. Basically, Chula Vista, where the R&D facility is, is right on the border with Mexico, and he, he makes that flight every day. So thanks for flying in. So he could have flown to Long Beach Airport. He goes, we were texting him, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? I think it would be really cool to have you on. And and Ted goes, yeah, I'll just land at John Wayne I'll
2: Uber over. <laughs> no, so what are, what are you flying? I fly a Mooney uh, M20E. It's a single engine. I don't know what engine. that is. Okay. It's kind of like a vintage Porsche. My old boss yeah. called it a Volkswagen, but I, <laughs> I think it's more like a... Vintage Porsche because it's small engine but it's fast. Yeah. Any
0: sketchy situations
2: in that thing? Uh, not really. I mean, I've been flying for about 25 years. Right when I got out of college and started working for Toyota, I started getting my license. So uh, I've been to. I've had bigger twin engine planes and I've been to school on them. So you know, generally speaking, you know the airplane's well maintained. and I try to be relatively conservative. And I don't have a whole lot of uh, scary so you're not stories. doing you're not doing loops or anything or <laughs> no I'm None all about stuff. speed I'm trying to get to work as fast <laughs> yeah. as I can and it's so much better than driving so some days I can't I don't know fly.
0: that many people who fly to work
2: every day is it awesome I don't know is it awesome it is awesome I'm I'm really blessed I'll tell you you know when I worked for Toyota I worked ten miles from my house in Long Beach and for twenty two years I had this great commute and then Toyota moved to Texas. And I really didn't want to go to Texas, and I'm kind of a of a unicorn. I'm a truck and off-road engineering guy, so if you're into truck and off-road parts, I'm really valuable. But there's not that many people yeah. looking for a truck and off-road engineering specialist uh, to run a big enough department to you know allow me to be able to continue flying my airplane. So yeah, wow, I that's got cool. lucky.
1: And for those of you who don't know or, or aren't into aviation, a Mooney is very very easy to spot. It's a it's a a single-engine, low-wing airplane that has... It looks like the vertical stabilizer on the back is backwards, and that's probably the best way, and and they're very cool.
0: The vertical stabilizer is what? That's the wing that stands the, straight right up? The vertical one straight vertical, up, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: So so instead of having, like, an, it cants, like, an angle back, it's mm-hmm. straight up and then cants backwards from there. And so Moonies are very easy to spot, and like Ted was saying... um, I love aviation. I've never been a pilot, but I've always just had a love for that. And the Moonies, they're like Porsches. They're they are just like a special brand, and, and people like to hot rod them. And there's people that have like Mooney clubs and flying. Are they expensive? And, I, I wouldn't no, even No, They're actually
2: a guess. an amazing value. And that's one of the reasons I bought this thing. You know, I, I have had. The
0: plane show. The plane (laughs) show. Ah, you know what? It's cool. We got to go. We (laughs) got to go with it, man.
2: (laughs) Bottom line, Moonies are cool. Yeah. They're really efficient. It's a great commuter airplane because it's fast. It's not slow like... A lot of the Cessna commuters get good gas mileage, but they're they're depressingly slow, and you get past. So what's a, you like your cruising speed, or what's your typical? I'm cruising at 150 knots, oh, which crap. is like 175 miles yeah, an hour to work every day. That's
1: fast. So like a, a Cessna is like 120 miles an hour or so, right? Exactly, That'd be yeah. right where they and are. I'm
2: burning the same fuel burn as those guys, and, yeah. and I've got 40 knots on Dude, them.
1: Dude, 150 knots is no joke. I mean, that's- And you said single
2: engine, right? Single yeah. engine, little okay. four-cylinder. It's 360 cubic inch four-cylinder, so it's you know a big four-cylinder, but it's little by airplane engine standards. But you're using special fuel. Isn't it pretty costly? It's 100 low lead. So it's uh, it's about four, four to five bucks a gallon so and that's I burn not, about that's 10 like a... gallons each way. So it's well, not, that's not bad out.
1: at all. Yeah. I mean, you look at a typical, you know, with all of our taxes in California and stuff, like I think I just filled up with diesel earlier today. It was like three eighty nine, and I think premium was $4. So you're really not that far off. From now wait, a...
0: everyone's talking about electric cars, electric big rigs, electric motorcycles, electric bicycles. I haven't heard any talk about electric Airplanes. There are people they're trying happening. to do it, but yeah. you know
2: what they say, there's liars, damn liars, and battery <laughs> engineers. Yeah. And So really, there's nothing with the range. Yeah. And I- batteries are so,
1: t- are so heavy. So aviation, you want to have a really great power to weight ratio, and you can get a ton of power from electronics, from batteries and things like that, In the motor. The problem is, they're so damn heavy. So there's a lot of startup companies right now that are chasing the dream, and even Boeing has some money in an in a electric aircraft program. And, you know, obviously they're quieter. The, you, know, you have to look for fuel so it's easier to, to create energy in like a battlefield We're going to have to
0: get someone on who is a battery specialist because everyone thinks they know about batteries, but they really don't. And yeah. I want to yeah. find out, you know, are, are battery-powered trucks in our future? They our battery are. Power, well, I mean, how— okay, not, in so my we, fe- not in my future. Well, <laughs> we don't know. We don't yeah, know. Sure. But I'm hearing about graph. Is it graphene? Graphene batteries?
2: I don't know about graphene, but I know Heinrich Fisker is a battery expert, is working on some advanced technology. And a buddy of mine is another automotive engineer who's working with him. And he said there's going to be some pretty big breakthroughs coming here in the next three to five years on uh, battery range and charging times uh, through the stuff they're working on.
0: So I think uh, Ted is the inside job, right? Sure, let's do it. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. show it's time for the inside job the inside the inside the inside job we'll talk to an industry expert about how things a worky work work don't ruin it dude <laughs> let, I, the, I, let I, the lead singer get the word I job.
1: hate that intro,
0: and <laughs> I love no,
1: that line.
0: Don't. If you, okay, you're you're poisoning that intro. When you say that you intro, hate something, now everyone's it, tur- That intro poisons itself. No, it's gone now. Yeah, we gotta I kill can, it. I can guarantee you that Perfect. after you say I hate it, so does everyone else. Yes! That's a, just a dick move. You're welcome. Now you're I just gotta,
1: mad because you have to make a new intro now.
0: Yeah. It's time. Uh, it's time. Sorry. Sorry, Ted, that you had to hear all that.
1: But we, <laughs>
0: we do have Ted here
1: because uh, we want to find out how things worky-work-work.
0: You you were saying something earlier about uh, a battery-powered
2: Jeep? Yeah, we worked with a, a professor from Korea and a giant battery company that makes batteries for like nuclear submarines and uh, big ships, container ships. And uh, they built a battery pack that you can put into a Jeep JK as a direct swap. So we built a two-wheel drive, or um, four-wheel drive, two-door, JK that we showed at the SEMA show in our booth uh, last year, that w- or actually two years ago, and I think we had it last year as well in the, in the outside booth. But it was uh, on 40-inch tires, our full you know Rubicon Express suspension, Poison Spider bumpers and armor. Took the thing up to Johnson Valley, ran some of the Hammers trails, and it was a blast. You know, I used to when I worked at Toad, I had an electric Rav4 for a little while, uh, just as a commuter because they were basically giving them away because they had to make a certain amount or they'd get the deep penalty of the government on right. on them. And that thing was a blast. You could turn off all the nannies and it would turn the little thing red in sport mode. <laughs> and my son would come doing like drifting by the house. <laughs> we used to sit out on this patio at this restaurant called Hoff's Hut in Long Beach. Okay, uh, got so it. we'd sit out on the patio and then we'd watch my kid come drifting out of the <laughs> f- driveway and then doing a burnout 200 feet down the street <laughs> in, in a RAV4. The electric RAV4.
1: Well I mean there's a lot to like about, you know, electric drivetrains. Obviously 100% torque at 0 RPM is one of them. So there's a
2: score uh, off-road class for electric vehicles. There and, is. Uh, nobody's ever finished the Baja 1000 yeah. in it. So when I was at Toyota, you know, I used to run the factory off-road racing team from 2009 till I left in 2015. And I tried to pitch everybody on, "Hey, let's go build an electric car and win the Baja 1000 in the EV Green class." But at Toyota, really, the hybrid guys are all about the environment, and they don't think that going desert racing is the right way to show how green electric cars are, so they didn't buy. I uh, I tried to get, you know, everybody I know, my buddy from Fisker, yeah, uh, who I was just telling you about, and he kind of pitched it, and those guys really aren't in a position to be funding an off-road racing team right now. So a couple people have tried, and uh, long story short, if anybody has a bunch of money and wants to go race Baja, <laughs> give me a call or connect through Long Beach Racers' website, and we'll uh, we'll Get something together. How did I love you
0: that. take me back to the beginning? How did you start at Toyota? So, and and were
2: you into automotive and sport beforehand or yeah? Go I've all been the way a back to your since I was a kid. Okay. like like I got my first car when I was twelve years old. It was a Chevy Nova. And, at twelve, uh, yeah, I I, w- I had to rebuild a lawnmower engine when I was ten. I, I told my dad I wanted the car. So he set up a bunch of silly rules. He got me an automotive <laughs> encyclopedia. I had to read it cover to cover. Had to build a, a, a rebuild a go kart engine or a lawnmower engine. I ended up putting on a go kart, ran it into a garage door and <laughs> bent the frame. Almost died. But then did you oh
0: what real damage? No, like, it wasn't happened? that
2: bad. There's are still an he area meant from his dad killing garage him. door. But uh, <laughs> anyway, then I got a Chevy Nova when I was twelve, and then I got a Chevy Love and tried to put a V six in it when I was like fourteen. And then no, but so you're not driving the these Volkswagen, things, right? Well, not officially. Like we drove the Nova to my grandma's house and uh, we had lawn chairs in it because I took all the seats out and I'm not really good with upholstery um, and slid through an intersection because I didn't also know how to bleed brakes. My dad is not a mechanical guy. He was director of purchasing at Santa Ana School District for 30 years. Greatest human being on the face of the earth. And my mom married him because uh, the brakes went out on the on his little car on their first date. And he got out, slid under the car and bled the brakes. And she thought, well, this is a competent guy. But I think that was... That was the peak. That's, right a, that's that mechanical what, what, what hooked
0: But that's what hooked it Takes her. so much
1: more now. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Back in the 60s, any guy who could hold down a job and, you know, solve his own problems, that was all it took. I got into trucks because in high school I had this big block cutlass convertible and I went on vacation and loaned it to my buddy and he blew it up drag racing. So <laughs> there was this old Toyota FJ40 Land Cruiser that somebody had abandoned in my uncle's front yard. And so I got it through a lean sale deal and another uncle had an El Camino with a 327 in it. So I pulled the small block out of the El Camino and dropped it in the Land Cruiser oh, in like three man, days awesome. before my senior year of high school. So I'd have something to drive. And then I started going to Azusa Canyon and driving off-road. And, you know, I was basically hooked on trucks. So from that day, I went through college driving Scouts and, and CJs and Wagoneers. Did, did, it, it, and,
0: at what point did you think to, to yourself, I want to work in, these, in this industry?
2: When I was six years old. Oh, I, really? I wanted to build race cars. When I was a kid, like, you know, I, I, I don't know if I saw – well, I saw the movie Gumball Rally when I was, like, four or five years old where they race Cobras and Ferraris yes. all the way across country. Yes. And so – and my mom's family were all body men in Long Beach. They all came out from Minnesota – they used to go to Joe Joast's at lunchtime. Joe Jo's, have you
1: had the special? <laughs> oh, absolutely! That's one of my favorite things. I was just gonna say, uh, gotta love the uncles, right? So my my dad not a car guy, my mom not a car person, and so I'm, you know my grandpa was, and my uncles, and so I've learned a lot about cars just from hanging out with my uncles. So God bless uncles. But my uncle lives. One of my uncles lives in Long Beach. And so on occasion, we'll go to Joe Joes and we'll go have the special, and which is one of my favorite things. And it's the special is a, a Polish uh, sausage, a pickle, mustard, wrapped in like a piece of rye bread, yep. and it's just badass. I love it. So the, the thing, every,
0: on a
2: schooner e- and a pickled egg. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah exactly. that's exactly right.
0: So every town probably has that bar. but yeah. Joe Joes was the sailors' bar back in the night. It opened in '29. Is that what it was? Uh, Twenty. Yeah. yeah somewhere like in the '20s. '24. 20, it sort 29. of became
1: like the uh, pe- everybody from the port who worked at the port. That was like they would go to Joe. Correct. Just. So they
0: were all yeah yeah Long Beach. Was yep. a port town way back in the yep. day. The houses were all small so yep. that sailors could afford them. And and Joe Jose and it's spelled J-O-S-T apostrophe S. 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 Yeah. Right. And it has been in the same family as owned it since the very beginning. And it's changed very little. And the menus never changed. Like yeah. it's the same menu yeah. since the nineteen twenties. Yeah. And it it is wow. So place. if you're in Long Beach, California, um, don't expect a lot, but you do not need to go there. And I will say that here's the crazy thing about this. And this, so I congratulate them, and it also drives me bonkers. <laughs> I own I own a t shirt company, yep. a, a clothing store. It's a physical store called Long Beach Clothing Company, and we market. It's all of our stuff is all about Long Beach, and I have a rough time competing with Joe Joes. Like, yeah, I see their, their shirts. Their shirts are everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. And I'll bet you we have audience members that don't live in California that have seen those shirts before. Oh, I guarantee you. It is a, it's a mug on the back of a navy blue shirt. Navy blue, yep. And the beer is its golden beer, yep. right? And it's kind of frothing over, and it just
2: says Joe, Joe Joe's Jose, EST uh, 1929
0: 1920, or whatever or yeah. it is. Yeah.
2: Moms, uncles used to go there because they had an unlisted phone number so they could go in at lunch and start drinking, and the wives couldn't call and tell them to get back to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: I, anyway, I've been a car guy my whole life, always wanted to be in the car business. I, um, I got out of high school and went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, I, I applied as a mechanical engineer, and I got rejected soundly. I had a good SAT score, but my GPA wasn't that awesome. Were they also
1: impacted? Because I know that absolutely. mechanical engineering at that school has always been, it's really hard to get in, mostly because there's so many people applying.
2: Yep, all majors are impacted. And uh, so luckily, my godfather had gone to school there. And so he said, hey, reapply as an ag engineer. is all the same support classes, but nobody knows about it. So I reapplied, and I got in as an ag engineer. Once I graduated, I took the mechanical engineering professional engineer's license in California. So I am a registered mechanical engineer, but just because nobody knows what an ag engineer is. But ag engineering is the best major. We had our own dyno. We had this full fabrication shop so we could build projects. So I built, like, a motorcycle carrier that plugged into a trailer hitch, you know, as my senior project. We had guys building, you know, saw mills. We got to build our own engines and do our own machine work. Whereas, like awesome. in the in mechanical engineering labs, they couldn't touch the dyno except in the class. Whereas in the ag engineering lab, it was ours to use, so wow. we could build stuff, put it on I, the dyno, run it. That's a huge
1: differentiator, right? Like that's that's a big deal when you're. When you're going to school somewhere and one set of students doesn't have the same access, I mean that's that's a big deal when you're uh, when you're trying to learn.
0: But overall, what agriculture, how does it lean? Like, what are you, were you in classes? that You're like, I don't care about hay and transporting grain.
2: Uh, well, there were a couple of, like soils classes that I didn't really care about um, and hydrology, but I learned a lot about like how much rain falls in California and that we have enough to support our population if we just build a couple more dams. But mostly, all the all the math, science support classes are the same. And then we had our own design, because ag engineers build tractors, structures, conveyor systems. So they're basically building a lot of mechanical devices that are very similar to things mechanical engineers are building. Um, and then they also have a civil component, right, because of the ground and the irrigation and that stuff. And I actually offered one of my professors to sign a waiver saying I will never practice in the field of irrigation if he just gives <laughs> me a C, because I didn't care at all about irrigation and I just wanted to get out because I The a job offer from Toyota. No, he was not amused. (laughs) And in fact, somebody reminded him of that at a 20-year reunion, and he's still not amused. (laughs) I'm convinced he worked for the CIA. That's a whole different story.
1: That is a a horrible story.
0: So wait, you had your sights set on
2: Toyota at that point. No, I didn't have my sights set on Toyota. In fact, my nickname in college was Mr. Goodwrench. Because everything I had, I had my big block cutlass. I put Chevy motors in everything. Okay. 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 Well, you, you had just mentioned Toyota. Well, talking- I had a job offer. I, I went to work for Toyota right out of college. Oh. So my senior year through on-campus interviewing, I had interviewed with Toyota, and I wanted to work for a car company, and I didn't care who it was. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, drove a Camry, and I used to say, hey, I'd, I'd even go to work for Toyota if they gave me a job and they did lo and behold i had two job offers one from the state water resources control board and one from toyota so you know State Water Resources Control Board sounded about as fun as watching paint dry. <laughs> so I went to work for Toyota, and it was, it's was it been wonderful. What was the job? Uh, I was in the engineering. Uh, it was called Engineering Associate Program. It was a two-year rotational training program. Oh, cool. And it was awesome. So I got to work in manufacturing. I got to work in quality. I got to work in accessories. You hit the mother load. Yeah, yeah. and then I even talked my way into TRD. I was the first EA who got to go to TRD on the race engine side right when we were in the middle of the IndyCar stuff. And I was there about a month. And then I got hired out of the program. One of my old bosses called me up to come work in the Celica convertible program. And then from there, I went into accessory engineering, did a stint in vehicle quality, and then I became a project manager for accessories. And then through that, TRD had a group that did uh, street vehicle, truck and, and car accessory parts, performance parts, superchargers and that kind of stuff. And uh, we basically absorbed that into the mother you know, ship. And I got to be the project manager on that project, and it went pretty well. So then, our vice president kind of gave me my opportunity to write my own ticket. So, my last year, my last 10 years at Toyota, from 05 to 15, I got to run the TRD uh, group, this, the vehicle stuff that went on street cars, not race engines. Wow. So two groups of TRD. The race engine side in Costa Mesa is a big, giant group that makes super awesome stuff and has a huge budget. And there's a small group of about 10 to 12 engineers developing all the TRD Pro stuff, all the superchargers, all the springs, sway bars, exhaust systems. But that's the stuff that every kid obsesses over Uh, and can't afford.
0: Absolutely. That's that's what you want. If you have a Toyota, you want a TRD product on there. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know it was invented by the scientists inside Toyota. I remember
1: back when the uh, 4.7 V8 was out and there was a TRD supercharger for it, and other companies were trying to crack the TRD market by building superchargers for the 47 but because Toyota had like Pentagon level encryption is what people used to say <laughs> you couldn't true. crack the ECU and so really because TRD was doing superchargers and they had access to the ECU the TRD blower was way better than anybody else's blower that and on that and I believe on the uh, so the three six at the time, the
2: 34
1: so, at the time. Yeah, yeah,
2: those. So the three four was amazing because the Toyotas are, are so robust; they build a brick house. Yeah, and so that engine had forged rods and a giant fuel system. So it didn't even have a calibration. The base ECU it had so much fuel capacity; you didn't need to put bigger injectors on it, and it could automatically pull back enough timing that you just. That's how the whole supercharger program started. Was my old boss Jim Wimmer uh, had worked in the accessories, and he got to go down to TRD. Because he got passed over for a promotion and it pissed him off. So he basically (laughs) quit the accessory business and and he was buddies with the guy who was VP of TRD. Went down there and he worked with Magnuson and Uh they built the 3-4 blower. And the thing was just awesome. But it ran the injectors at like a 99% duty cycle. So it was right on the ragged edge. Got it. But it worked great, and yeah. they and to this and they day they felt great. I mean, those th- they'll go hundreds of thousands of they miles. They
1: screamed. I mean, they they had so much power. Um, I remember, and because that was a VVT engine, right? You were able to adjust timing for the supercharger. So having access to the ECU on the OEM level was such a big deal because you could have basically, literally, an OE a quality, OE approved accessory, and you're making. I want to say that thing. I don't even remember. It was it had to be 300 well, horsepower or the, something like that, right? The three,
2: four made uh, you could make with an intake and exhaust I think you could make uh, about 270 horsepower but on a motor that came with 180 yeah but that one they didn't have any access so that at that time the TRD group was like a redheaded stepchild they got no support from Japan they were just this little group out there kind of buying parts from vendors and so that's why at that time what why parts were white blue red you never knew what you got because some of the stuff came from TRD Japan in Japan TRD is an is an aftermarket brand and oh. it's not genuine So it was a different deal. It's not genuine. No, not considered. It's owned by Toyota. Okay, but they don't consider it genuine. So in other words, it doesn't have the same warranty, and it can't be financed in with the vehicle uh, at that time. So they have no no respect for it, or it didn't. Yeah, they they look at it like those guys don't really meet the full engineering standards of Toyota. Those guys are cowboys, right? They're out there hot rodding these vehicles. Well, they were, but Toyota's (laughs) super conservative, so they are kind of like we have this divide. So then, when I took over TRD. Uh, one of the motivations from the Japan team was we want you guys to you know follow some more rules. And I was like, hey, no problem as long as you give us some access. So I went over to Japan and negotiated to get the access to the ECU because there was a little time there in between the 3-4 that yeah. didn't have an ECU. The 4-7 had a piggyback ECU okay. developed by a guy named uh, Dave Phillips who was an IndyCar engineer on the TRD IndyCar team. And and he had a buddy uh, named Scott Coach, and it was an electronics genius. So they developed these piggyback ECUs, and they were out calibrating with a piggyback ECU. But the problem is the rev limiter strategy on the piggyback ECU didn't match the base vehicle ECU. So occasionally they would blow up. <laughs> Basically, if you cut the, rev, cut the rev limiter just right under wide open throttle, and it would do a lean burn, backfire, and break a Boom. connecting rod. Yeah. And so the warranty rate went up, and that's one of the reasons that basically the mothership took over that group and so then i i said hey we want to do this but we really need native ecu control so i got approval from japan to get their software and get trained and i hired some really sharp calibrators tell me about that process um, was that painful
0: like tell me it was, was that painful. a mountain of paperwork or they said yeah. prove yourself to us that you're not going to uh, create a, a huge amount of liability for the company.
2: Exactly. So I went over there and we wanted to do I wanted to do lifted suspension, right? Which we ended up getting done yeah. ten years later. But at the very beginning I came over there with all these ideas, right? I want to do what the customer wants to buy. You know what they want? Yeah. The trucks, they want them lifted, they want bigger tires, they want more power.
1: What must the look you on know? their face
2: have been when you showed up and you're like
1: I want to do this, right? And they're like, whoa! It's like like Santa's scroll. Who who are you? Why why are you messing with our magic? (laughs) I
2: had nitrous systems on my plan at the very beginning. (laughs) Really? And I said, yeah, I guess that's too conservative or too extreme for Toyota. And my Japanese counterpart, who turned into a great guy and we got a great relationship, he said, that's too extreme for General Motors, Like, <laughs> not just for Toyota. No nitrous systems. I but. just
1: remember back in the uh, the mid to late 2000s when TRD, when Ted was there, TRD was really hitting its stride with the performance parts. I mean, that's what we wanted to do at the magazine. Everybody who owned a Toyota at the magazine wanted to put the supercharger and do the full TRD deal on it because it was like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is all the stuff we do, but it came from Toyota. And I, I really feel like that elevated the Toyota brand in the truck world for about – 10 years where it was a big deal. And then there were some offshoots of that, like the X Runner came out and the Baja TX came out. And so, whether you were, you were a lowered truck or a lifted truck, TRD really started trickling into the OE product in like special edition offerings. And if you remember, the X Runner was a um, six speed uh, extended cab, two wheel drive truck that was lowered, had a, a great wheel and tire package. I believe on the skid pan, it pulled 0.91 Gs which was better than, I think, a Nissan 350Z at the time, from a two-wheel drive Tacoma. Right. And so it was a big deal. That was the Toyota engineer said, we made this truck handle better than a comparable sports car at the same price. And, you know, I love driving that truck. The only thing I didn't like about it was Toyota never really fixed the rubberiness of the shift linkage. And so you would miss a shift on occasion because you didn't really know what gate you were in. But otherwise... The X-Runner was such a fun truck to drive. And then, of course, the Baja TX was a precursor to all the pro stuff that's out today. And that was novel at the time. There there weren't Raptors at the time. You had sticker and badge packages. And meanwhile, Toyota started kind of coming into the truck space with really cool stuff that was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that manufacturers were going to, you know, still cared about us in this this segment.
2: The cool thing was coming at it from the accessory point of view, right? So we... Started uh, with Bilstein doing 50 millimeter, true 50 millimeter shocks when the trucks were coming with 36 millimeter monotube shocks, right? And we had to keep stock height. Even though we wanted to lift it, uh, in Japan they were saying, no, you can't increase the center of gravity. But they gave me an education on how they do confirmation for safety systems. So I learned all about rollover testing, I learned all about product liability defense, learned about how to do these tests. So then I went back to Toyota legal department And at first, in in the U.S., and they were like, no, we don't want to do it unless you can get Japan to sign off on it. But then, you know, because of my work with the Japanese and i learning about all these tests, I went, okay, I think we can do this. So then we came out with the FJ Cruiser in 05 or 07. We had the first FJ Cruiser TRD package. Had a quick shifter on it. Had some uh, stock height Bilstein shocks. We showed we knew how to tune shocks. Had BFG all-terrain Came tires. Came in one color. It was black, yeah, right? All, like a metallic any color you black. you want, yeah. as long as it's black. And I remember
1: <laughs> that, sh- that shifter. So, uh, FJ Cruiser at the time, the part-time T-case was on the automatic transmission, but there was a full-time all-wheel drive T-case on the manual transmissions, which seems backwards of how you would want to do it. But the cool thing about that is because it was an all-wheel drive transfer case, and it still had four low and all that, but it was in four-wheel drive all the time, it was really f- great in snow. It was fun to drift. And with that short shifter kit, and I remember the The shift knob on the TRD was was like a round knob,
2: and it, so it, we got it from a cue ball company. There it was a company who made cool okay. balls. Yeah, and we had them, really? make us and it just a felt gray right. Cue ball that, with TRD, TRD on it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was who, awesome. Who made that phone call? Um, my my <laughs> old boss, Brent Craig. Brent, he liked a big. He liked the old Hurst style from, uh, on, gotta, uh, yeah, This is Brent from. Hold
0: uh, on, <laughs> we got to. You know, this is Brent from TRD
2: Toyota, and it was more like this. Brent had a really deep voice, <laughs> and so okay. we'd say. Uh, Hello, this is Brent Craig from TRD Toyota Racing Development in California. (laughs) We've seen your Hurst style shift knobs, and we're (laughs) wondering if you can make us a cue ball that's gray with the TRD logo on the side. And And they did it. I loved it. I love.
1: We had one of those as a long term at Four Wheeler Magazine for a year, and so I had a chance to drive it for you know probably uh, maybe four or six months, and that was one of the things I liked about because all the all the Toyota manuals, like they were still doing manuals at the time. And a Honda manual is like really sweet, like it's almost telepathic. The way a Honda manual is, the Toyota manuals on the cars were really good. On the trucks, they were a little bit sloppy. It Kind of felt like a spoon in a jar of marbles, right? Like, <laughs> but in good the description, but in the TRD with that. So I had a, a fifty-one Willys a flat fender Jeep, and I actually put an eight ball and a cue ball where my shifters and my old flat fender. So going into the TRD, I just like having that round sphere; it just fits your hand so nice. And it just feels good, and with the short shift kit, and it would just—it was like the way it was supposed to be, right? And it, and I I can appreciate. You probably think it's funny. Here we are, you know, ten years later. You thought the shifter was forgotten, and here we are on the truck show, going. I love the shifter. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. You know, it's the little things. By the way, it, it is really the little things. Is. It's the yeah.
2: little so thirty percent is the magic number for Toyotas. They they work great with thirty percent more power, and the <laughs> yeah. shifters work great if you reduce the stroke by about thirty <laughs> percent. So that's kind of what I figured out after yeah. working there for ten in, in TRD Group for ten years. That's awesome.
0: Of of those years, and we're going to get to Pro Comp. I promise. No, it's okay. In, I'm in, no hurry. And in, in, so for those years, I, I'd like to hear more about the the. The inner battles that you've had, like, were there, did you ever have a knockdown dragout where I, guys, yeah. I really believe this is the direction Toyota needs to go. What was and your
1: it, big win that you walked away after battling? Because and like, That's he, the we both
0: of. work, Holman and I both work for conservative companies. Yes. And, you know, I worked for, for many, many years, 20 years, I worked for CBS, the television company. It was their radio arm, but
2: extremely conservative. You worked for a publishing company, yep. also very conservative. Yep. Toyota, no different. Yes. And uh, there were many battles because I was involved in trying to make Toyota's fun to drive, right? And Toyota engineering standards are very robust, but what you get if you follow them is a Toyota, okay? So basically, Toyota makes washing machines. Yeah, it's they an last forever. Ah. And they look at me like, why do you want to put flames on my washing machine? <laughs> and so that you know, doesn't help
1: it wash clothes. Yeah. Right? And so
2: we'd have all these meetings where they'd say, hey, it's OK if you want to develop superchargers and shocks and wheels and tires as long as they meet our engineering standards. And I'd say, well, the whole point of your engineering standards is they were developed by testing something to failure over millions of miles in Africa. And, you know, as long as I can show that my products are going to last the life of the vehicle or beyond the life of the vehicle, that's all the durability the customer really expects or wants. They want to have this performance. And so the durability you're giving up isn't the durability you're going to actually use in 400,000 miles. It's the durability that you're never even going to see. Uh, And that's like painting the top of the gas tank is an area that Toyota famously studied. Why are our cars cost more than the competitors? one of the things Toyota does is they paint the top of their gas tanks. Most of the competitors don't because Because? you never will see the rust on the top of the gas tank. The customer will never know about it. So Toyota's putting money they call it invisible quality. They put money in and they're really, it's not going to make any difference to that customer. It's such
1: a great Japanese term, invisible quality, Right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that yeah. that so Ted is the king of invisible quality. By the way, our show
2: has invisible
0: quality.
1: <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I will put in the invisible suckage. <laughs> yeah, invisible suckage.
0: No, it's visible. Invisible my suckage. It's way visible. Yeah, <laughs> Ted's he's witnessing it right here. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Sorry, Ted. <laughs> no, that's okay.
2: Anyway, the point is, they have these really robust standards, and they're great, and they're good, but they paint you into a box. And we're trying to go out and give the customer what they want. I want the tires to come out to the edge of the wheel wells they want to have 19 millimeters of you know of clearance in there for snow chains. And so we're constantly having battles over everything. But the but I was winning and I managed to get technical approval on the 5.7 Tundra Supercharger that made 550 foot pounds of torque. I have one on my Daily Driver Tundra, the 4.0 liter Tacoma supercharger. Um, you know, we managed to eventually lift the trucks with the TX Pro Tier, and then eventually with Baja Series, and yep. then, which eventually then became TRD Pro. And then I ended up getting position-sensitive shocks uh, and, and you know, basically launched the whole TRD Pro brand, which has been super successful for You Toyota. really
0: are, as I'm hearing these stories unfold, you revolutionized that arm of the company. That You changed their vision. You widened it, at least.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I was a gearhead and a truck guy in this little company and nobody really understood trucks. There are a few people, but not a lot of truck people. And in fact, uh, it was really neat that uh, I got a a LinkedIn message. I went to Overland Expo with my new company, Four Wheel Parts Engineering, uh, this year. And I was over there and, you know, Overland Expo's cool. There's all kinds of awesome truck and off-road and Overland stuff out there. And I got a LinkedIn message from a, a vice president who used to work at Toyota when I was there and she's now retired. And her and her husband have recently bought a sportsmobile diesel Sprinter. So probably $150,000, yeah, can't you know, four-wheel drive van, yep. right? And she says, you know, when I went to Overland Expo, I really realized how valuable you were to the company because nobody really understood this whole market. Now my eyes are open, and I just wanted to say thank you for being there during that time and for helping us to get into the truck and off-road space because nobody really got it except Man, you awesome. and you were passionate. So that was awesome. It really – Made me feel good because, like I said, I had a lot of knockdown dragouts, and and there was a lot of conflict, and and a lot of times I had I had one vice president tell me, "Don't ever lose your passion; just control your emotions." <laughs> so that you know, it was did you, difficult. Did you ever were you the kind of guy that slammed doors? Did you
0: would you kick would you, trash cans? Well, no, no. Would, and I'm saying, would you would you close the door in your office and just he, head in hands or <laughs> shed a tear over? Because Holman and I have both been pretty emotional over our jobs trying to have
2: our companies We've fought a break lot of break new ground, ground. Yeah. yeah 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 you know what I did a lot is um we would I had a really good team of very seasoned people around me and those are the guys who really developed all these products and and helped us get where we were and my job basically was to be the referee and the and the fire shield for them but then we would all take off and go to the little brewing company monkish right around the corner from work and you know at that time I was 100 pounds heavier than I am today so there was a lot of stress, and I'm a stress eater and a stress drinker. So, you know that, that you know, makes three of us in this
1: uh, healthy yeah, yeah. things. You know, yeah. And uh, anyway, Ted, that's I'll tell you, Ted did. looks a lot better today than I looked when when Ted was. The, you know, I, I I've gotten worse and he's gotten better
0: when they, he was the head of T R D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I he
1: he looks great, and I'm looking way worse. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It is the, it it is the wiener shit that we do before every one need, of these podcasts. We need to stop doing that. Yeah, we definitely need to stop doing that.
0: <laughs> tell us, Ted, about your transition from trd which seems like still the dream job into
2: well was it pro comp or how did you get over there uh okay so trd was a dream job at the time and not only because of all the cool stuff we got to develop but then i also got to run the off-road racing team which was awesome um but i didn't want to go to texas you know, I, I flew back to the Oh, that's right. You times. said the Texas thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and I real tried real quick, to make it too, work.
1: Just for those who don't know, Southern California was a hotbed for the Japanese OEs. So there was probably like a four, five-square-mile area in this what we call the South Bay, the Torrance area, where it was Toyota, Honda, and Nissan um, all right next to each other. Honda is the only one that still exists today. Uh, Nissan moved to Tennessee. And Toyota moved to Texas, and for various reasons, and, and and various things. But what happened was a lot of people who lived and grew up in Southern California, who were with these brands for you know decades, were like, I, I'm not going to go. And so there was a lot of institutional lo- knowledge that was lost. It was a big risk for these companies to move themselves out of state because. It wasn't a sure bet for Californians to go to Texas at the time or to go to Tennessee at the time. And so it was kind of, even in the automotive journalist side, it was a tumultuous time because we saw a lot of our friends who we had built these relationships with at the OEs that we we would talk about product and and all this stuff, starting to figure out they didn't know what they were going to do next. And, you know, here we are probably 10 years later where it's worked out for everybody and there have been lots of things that have happened. But it was a hard time at the time for guys like Ted, who were entrenched in their career, their dream job, the job that they were going to retire from.
0: Did they give you a lot of warning, Ted, that oh, they yeah. were going to make this move? And
2: Toyota did a great job of planning. So we had a couple years' advance notice, which is both good and bad. I gained about 40 pounds after mm. they announced it because the stress level went up. And at the time, the fights went up because after the floor mat recalls, Toyota got very conservative. And they kind of said, why are we really in this performance space? So they killed superchargers, which was kind of a product. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on a second.
0: The floor mat recalls? You're talking about now They have every floor mat has to be tabbed down and not move.
2: That trickled all the way through to TRD? Absolutely. How so? Because uh, the accessory department within Toyota developed all the floor mats. And there really wasn't a problem with the floor mats. It really was the wrong floor mats being put in the vehicle. And, and an SUV's floor mat's longer than a sedan, so it caught under the gas pedal. Uh, but... Basically, they ended up coming up with this crazy floor mat test and changing the design of all the floor mats so that any floor mat you put any car upside down, sideways or backwards is not going to impinge on the gas pedal. And because that was our overarching department, but, but floor mats make an obscene amount of money. Mm. Okay. So they made that. Oh, change. Hence,
0: hence WeatherTech sponsoring every race series. <laughs> oh, oh my
1: God. In the world, where do, I mean, it was. It's funny. I remember them just being in like Auto week ads in the back of the magazine. Like, I don't know.
0: Do you have some inside knowledge into WeatherTech? You are uh, in that space. I mean,
2: it's the I mean, guy. It's we, all American. It's all plastic yeah. and it's all cheap and everyone pays big money but for it. But yeah, it's laser I mean,
1: cut and it's all guns. injection
2: molded. Yeah. I mean, we developed our own Toyota all-weather mats when when I was there as a project manager. Um, it's everybody wants them. Bottom line, everybody wants them. There's high profit in there. I mean, you might. I don't know if I should tell everybody what uh, the actual manufacturing <laughs> cost is on this stuff but it's probably a third. So it's 60-70 bucks to injection mold a giant set of tub mats and they sell them for $200. Yeah. Ah. And so if you consider that Toyota sells 2 million cars a year in the United States and almost every car gets either either carpet mats or all-weather mats you can see it's hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. And WeatherTech not only does it for Toyota, they do it for everybody. Yeah. So those guys are, you know, they're making billions of yeah, dollars. Yeah.
1: That, that, that guy has a hell of a story, right? I mean, just from humble beginnings to owning the. Well, I don't know.
0: I, I don't know. Is it humble beginnings? We need to talk to the WeatherTech guy. Yeah. Because I we don't know if he was a, a Wall Street banker that saw a market or. or I just remember
1: it. small, tiny ad. There's someone
0: listening to us right yeah. now that knows the WeatherTech Maybe. guy story. Maybe. I can Maybe. guarantee Get you. Do, on here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so then um, we're talking about your, your transition and how that is, you're stressed out, you, want, you, know, you know you're going to have to make a move, Plus, you want to stay well, in the off-road space, got, right, the I've, truck space.
2: Well, yeah, I always obviously I want to stay in performance, right, okay. in truck off-road or, or hot rods, something like that. But generally I wanted to stay at Toyota, and I probably would have gone with Toyota, except that at the same time they were moving to Texas, which I love Baja, I love the mountains, I love Long Beach, So, really, I didn't want to go to Texas. And then at the same time, it was getting to be a harder and harder battle to get everything approved. We wanted to get the TRD Pro stuff installed in the factory, supercharger. I had a supercharger for the roller rocker engine that's on the Forerunner and the FJ Cruiser that was completely developed and validated and passed the 240-hour wide-open throttle dyno durability test.
1: And, And real quick, when you say installed at the factory, what people don't realize is the early TRD vehicles were pulled off the line and the TRD parts were installed and then sent to the dealer. So what Ted's talking about is trying to get him installed at the same time the truck's being built.
2: Gotcha. And they're now doing that. So, you know, those were all the battles that we were fighting. So it was starting to wear on me. And then the day superchargers got killed, I was pissed. Yeah. And that day I got a phone call from a headhunter saying, how'd you like to come work for the biggest truck and off-road parts company in America? And I was like, I'm listening. (laughs) And so then I went to dinner with my boss, uh, Sean Anges, who's now he's moved on from the company, but uh, really sharp sales guy. And Greg Adler, uh, you know, the chairman of our company, who founded. You know, his father founded Four Wheel Parts. Um, and uh, anyway, basically the rest is history. They brought me on board three years ago. Now, they let me fly to work, and uh, i You know, they wanted to elevate the brands, right? So we've got seven brands. We've got Pro Comp, Smittybilt. I, I want you to. So most people know the brands, and then they know Four Wheel Parts, but they probably didn't
0: realize that they're one and the same. Explain that breakdown.
2: Yeah, so Trans American Auto Parts is our parent company, and we're a division of Polaris. So, after, that, and that's recent, right? That's right. Yeah, after I came on board, about a year later, Polaris bought the company, and uh, and so now we're a division of Polaris, um, which has been great. But basically, we're a vertically integrated auto parts company specializing in truck, Jeep, and and off road parts. So we've got seven brands. You've got that line down, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I've, I've had to say it a few times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, Pro Comp suspensions, a homegrown brand. You know, the whole thing started way back at some point when uh, George Adler, the founder, couldn't get uh, enough KC highlights, and he and Casey couldn't supply enough. So the, he was calling and berating the KC guy, who said, "Look, here's the supplier that I buy them from." Why don't you call him direct? So he called the guy direct. Ouch! And then that guy gave him a way better price than he was getting from KC on the same light. So they invented Explorer Lighting, and and they started buying them direct. Uh, and then through that, they basically started going, "Wow, we get we can make the manufacturers profit, and we can make the retail, retail trans yeah. you know, wholesale profit." So saying, okay. So basically, that's how they started. Was just basically buying private label products. And then, dude, the guy at KC just got to be kicking himself. That well, I know
0: they still are big. Four Wheel Parts is a huge KC dealer still to this day. But yeah, they still. But but it launched that that new uh, that yeah that vertical integration. Well, that's and, right, and
1: also those parts were those parts were more affordable.
0: Well, when you're cutting the middleman out, I mean
2: there is yeah. quite a bit of profit that. Yeah, that's the secret. Is is because we're the manufacturer of the product and we're selling it. We've got more ability to discount, and so we try to provide more value. But the 4WP stores sell everything; they sell everybody's products, give the customer what they want. So, you know, if you want, if you if there's a brand you want, 4WP will sell it to you. What we've tried to do over the last several years, so through that, they started developing their own suspension systems, kits, Pro Comp, Smittybilt uh, was an acquisition, Poison Spider for Jeep stuff, G2 Gear and Axle. Um, Trailmaster. And so then when I came on board, the goal was to start bringing more of the OEM development and validation, expanding. So we started developing our own uh, shock absorber line. I brought in an engineer from Fox named Carlos McLeese, who's super smart, did a lot of the military special ops shocks for those guys. I brought Chris Hernandez from ICON on board, who's engineering manager over there. Um, and then we've developed the other people that we have. We had a good team, a lot of desert racers, a lot of fabricators. A lot of really talented people were in the company, they just needed a little bit of structure and some engineering standards and some validation experience. One of the things that the aftermarket doesn't have is a lot of validation protocols. So, you know, the whole aftermarket operates on hurry up and get this developed and get it out to the customer. It's all first to market with the aftermarket. Yeah, yeah. And and Who's got the part first? It's not how it performs or yeah. they
0: don't do any of this. Well, not all, but many of the companies, they don't have the time or resources,
1: mainly about resources. Sure. To Ted's point is bringing that structure and bringing the, the procedures and protocols in place. I'm telling you, the stuff that ProComp does today or the stuff that Rubicon Express does today, I mean, it's it's really high-quality stuff. You look at the the bushings, the geometry, the way the joints are, the shock technology. I mean, it's it's high-end, well-engineered product.
2: And it's such little things. Like, one of the first things I did is they make these kind of triangular, tapered rulers called gap gauges, and everybody at Toyota has them. Nobody had them at, at my new company. So I bought them for everybody, and I put it put a clearance standard together saying, look, this is how much clearance you need from a bumper to a frame, from a track bar, you know, to an exhaust pipe. And I need that documented because we develop a lot of different products. And even though the guy at the next rack might be working on an axle and you might be working on a suspension system, they didn't talk. And so then you find out that your track bar on your Jeep hits your diff cover and puts a big scrape on it when you bottom the thing out Uh or you, you articulate it on the Rubicon trail. So we've just started just the blocking and tackling of good engineering, clearance checking, putting in – I brought in – So a, there were a lot of guys that just hated you in the beginning because now they had to work and they had to document
0: everything they did. They're like, ah, oh, <laughs> the guy's a pencil pusher. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that where they didn't really – You uh, had a bunch. A you had a bunch of cowboys working for you when you first started. You know, they or, were able to be first to market.
1: Or, or I mean, not even – I don't even know if it was like a cowboy situation as much as it was people were used to being autonomous – And just sort of knew what their job was and got it done. But there wasn't a holistic approach where it was a full vehicle look at how your part fits into the big picture,
0: right? When you got there, was it just a, a collage of fabricators that were kind of doing their own thing? Yeah, we
2: had engineers and fabricators. But the deal is that the standard each of them operated to was based on their own experience. So whatever they thought was good enough is what shipped. And some of them were, would sub-optimize and, like, make some really super bitchin' stuff. I mean, I couldn't believe when I got in there that, you know, everything's – a lot of the parts are made out of chromoly. There's all kinds of billet. There's heat-treated. There's all this stuff. But then the execution wasn't perfect. And so you bring down all the money you've invested in high-quality materials and good welding and, and all this stuff. If if it causes a scrape and rubs the paint off and it rusts, the customer is not going to value all that stuff. You right. Know? And then one of the things we do is we do sell our, you know, when, when I brought Chris over from Icon, he looked inside our new 2.5 shock line with has internal bump zones and base anti-cavitation base valves and rebound cutoffs and all these high-tech features. And he goes, you guys are selling this thing too cheap. Nobody's going to believe that this, you know, he's like, this is not a $379 shock. It's a $699 shock. So if you sell it for 379 nobody's going to buy it because they're not going to believe it's any good. So you know, there's a little bit of yeah. yeah. If if you discount a Mercedes, people feel they're leery about it. Well, you know,
1: a perfect example that that I like to bring up in the OE space was when the uh, Nissan Titan launched back in uh, in o four. I believe the average transaction price or the average MSRP of a a half ton pickup was like thirty five grand, but the average transaction price was thirty one grand. So when Nissan came into the market, I almost think they shot themselves in the foot a little bit with the with the first Titan because what happened was they said. We're going to give you a deal. We recognize that you're paying thirty-one thousand dollars, so we're going to right price our truck, and we're going to offer it with an MSRP of thirty-one thousand dollars. Even though Ford is saying their truck is thirty-five, you're still buying that for thirty-one. Ah, sounds great, right? Until you remember, or forget, in this case, the American consumers' love of the deal. So what ended up happening was. They said, "Well, I can go to a Nissan and get a thirty-one thousand dollar truck for thirty-one thousand, or I can go to Ford and get a thirty-five thousand dollar truck for thirty-one. Right? Even though Nissan could have priced it, it was all about you know perception and pricing strategy. So those types of things, like they're really important, and sometimes you have to write price to perception as a marketing play in order for people to take your stuff seriously. And you know, back in the day, Pro Comp might have had you know, relabeled or private labeled white shocks that had a Pro Comp sticker, and they weren't great." And now, here they are, and they have all the technology that you can get from anybody, but it's all done in-house, which is just unbelievable to me. Well, so, you, Ted, I mean, a lot
0: of people who know that the Pro Comp name, when you guys started, I mean, it was, the, it was the lesser expensive option when you walked into four-wheel parts. It's like, I want this brand, but I can't afford it. And you ended up with a Pro Comp or a Smittybilt or whatever. And those, that's, that dynamic has changed under your leadership.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, we still are going to be a value play right that's the, our company because we're vertically integrated we've got size we leverage the size of our of our business to be able to you know buy at the right price to be able to uh, you know cut out margin here and there so that we can be a better value but we're putting in the same level of engineering validation and, and work that we did you know in my old job at Toyota you know one of the things ProComp did as a leader before I got there is uh, invested in FMVSS 126 testing. Yes. In the actual testing where you put the don't outriggers know, don't on. don't know what that is. It's vehicle stability control testing. So you've seen the pictures with the outriggers where they try to do the rollover testing? Yes, I've seen that. So Procomp was the first suspension brand to do that. FMVSS 126 has a really defined test protocol where you put in 270 degrees per second of steering angle. So think about that for a second. That's three quarters of a turn in one second. Wow. And then you snap it back. And the vehicle has to recover within, uh, I think it's one meter of the center line of the lane. So basically, you got to make sure the car doesn't get sideways and end up pointing at the guardrail and end up in the next lane and head-on collision. Gotcha. It's got to bring the car back safe. And so all of our kits pass that standard. How does a new product launch? For
0: example, I'm trying to wrap my head around, are are you doing it to fit a price point? Are you saying that there's a new 2019 Chevy Silverado coming out and we need a a four-inch lift kit for that? And... Which comes first the chicken or the egg the price or the the, the product, fitment
2: or how do you figure out that mix Okay so one of the one of the secret strengths of our company is because 4WP is the you know, nation's leader in trucking off-road. Yeah, four-wheel parts is what known over a hundred locations. We have over hundred locations, yeah. and we'll probably have two hundred in the next five years. Oh my lord! Uh, we're expanding rapidly. That's one of the great things about Polaris coming and on board. And the board goal is they've invested.
1: was to be a billion-dollar company in like the next three
2: or four years, or something like that. Yes, uh, it still is. Um, Amazing. And We're about, I think, we're about eight hundred million yeah. dollars right now as a standalone business. Wow. Um, but because we sell whatever the customer wants to buy we know what the customer wants to buy. So we have all these customers coming to us and buying products, so we have all this great data. And we can say, hey, you know what you really need? Toyota customers want a zero to three inch coilover. Chevy customers want a six inch lift with a 35 inch tire. Ram customer wants a 37 inch tire. So then we have guys in our Compton headquarters who are basically experts. Statisticians? Yeah, Yeah, they're experts (laughs) at mining the data. They also meet with customers that, you know, they go out to all these shows, right? We We put all the Truck Fest shows. So they're at the Truck Fest shows and they're talking to customers all day long and hearing customer feedback on what they like about everybody's products, what's good and what's bad. So they put together these little wish lists for us called a product request form where they go, look, this is the sweet spot. If you guys could give us for uh, right now, I have a 2019 Ram in our shop, in our R and D center. By the way, beautiful truck. Yeah, it, it's. Oh, thank you. You're talking about
3: the, <laughs> <are> ours. <laughs> the particular in
2: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we have this 2019 Ram uh, with 37 inch tires on it, and it's you know four wheel coil springs. It's a really neat truck, and and I've been doing a lot of driving. I've been putting thousand miles a week on the thing in order to confirm all the safety systems are working. Which like two trips to work control. is all it is. <laughs> yeah, it's four days. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. My airplane was in the shop for two months, and so I had to drive every day. Oh, not a, not oh a bad God. truck to be driving down there, by the way. No, no, it was no, very nice. So we put a lot of miles on it, but we refined a lot of stuff, and we learned a lot of things. Uh, you know, originally we were trying to find a – basically the way we lifted the rear end of the truck was we were trying to extend the upper control arm because it was less expensive than using, like, a geometry correction bracket, which is what we did on the previous generation. But – Uh, What I found out was through emergency lane changes, when the back of the car gets upset, it kind of duck walks the axle, and as it rotates, it points the car into the next lane. It's
1: almost like passive steering in a way.
2: Yeah, it's almost like having rear steer. That's scary. It it is. With a tail wagging on a full-size truck with 37-inch tires at 85 miles an hour, when you go over a big roller. So we ended up redoing that directly because of the drive evaluations that we do, right? And anyway, so we redid it, and now the thing goes straight like a trophy truck through the whoops. It's wow, it awesome. It just floats. Well, and it is it's such you know, a good platform. The the,
1: the, uh, the frame is lighter, but it's way stiffer. And then just the way the the geometry of the stock truck and the foundation being able to already work with coils. Pretty awesome setup to start with. I, I would I would imagine
2: it is. It's a really good truck.
1: Going back to uh, you were asking Ted, you know about. What? How do you know which which products to do? It's funny, just aside for a side four wheel parts story for you. It's him. not just
0: which products to make, but what price point. Because if, yeah. if if Ted has to come up with this this new Chevy Silverado, tw- you know, ni- twenty nineteen truck, it's like, ha- it, should I make a, a lift kit that's fifteen hundred bucks? Okay. or four thousand. So so, yeah, so
1: that's all back, in there. Back well. in the magazine days, uh, obviously we're still there, but four wheel parts has always been a, a big advertiser for us, right? And we would have other companies, and if you remember, 4 Parts, I remember 15 years ago, 4Wheel Parts was like eight-page ads, right? And they would have the pricing and all these products. We would have a new advertiser come in the space, and they say, well, what do I advertise? I make all these things, or what do I do for price point? And we would always say, open the, open the magazine, look at the latest 4Wheel Parts ad. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Because four-wheel parts data was so good, they knew exactly what was selling. they knew exactly what the price points needed to be. and so I think it was almost in a way sort of a, um, a reference for other companies to sort of know what to advertise and where to go with their product because of how big it was. Just kind of an interesting side story that people might not might not know.
2: coming out of Toyota, where I was the only truck guy, I mean there were a couple of us you know built in, but not a lot of truck guys to a company where everybody's a truck guy, truck yeah. or jeep person was awesome. yeah and, and so you know guy or girl everybody's talking about you know yeah check out my new you know check out the new wheels look at the shocks i've got look at the winch i put on my forerunner over the weekend and everybody plays hard too so everybody's out in the desert there's a lot of racers there there's a lot of people you know blasting around in razors so it's really you know every single event right moab rubicon baja it's it's like it, deer it's, season it, the Baha 1000 is like deer season in michigan They shut down all the factories the first day of deer season because no one comes to work. Really? He's out deer hunting? No, really. Yeah. All the auto manufacturers shut down on the first day of deer season in Michigan. So do all the deer die on that day? Like, I mean, uh, oh, you, all of my friends from Red Michigan? Red Friday. Yeah, and it's crazy because a lot of people get shot too because everybody's out in the <laughs> yeah. woods drinking beer and shooting rifles <laughs> on sure. the same day. Sure. So Sounds at like our it. work, the Baja 1000 is that day. My whole shop pretty much shuts down because everybody's down. I love when that – so,
0: for example, like Hurley was famous for doing that, shutting down on Friday so yeah. everyone could go. You know, could go surf. I think Quicksilver did it first way back in the day. And, you know, the surf company's doing that. Just, nope, surf day.
1: Yep, everybody go. You you got to take some time I, off.
0: I don't know how you get that. When you do that every week, I don't know how you get anything done. If it's 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, and then it's like... Surf it's like day? A government job, dude. You know, come on. How's, hey, how's anything getting done? Don't
1: be jealous because there's other people getting paid to have fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm angry and jealous. So, so my question is, um, you have all these great enthusiasts like you're talking about, right? You have all these great employees... And the swath and breadth of vehicles that they drive must be enormous. The swath or the breath? Yeah, either way. Bre- okay. <laughs> not breath, but breadth. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. With a D in there. Yes, with a D. Okay. So uh, what I'm wondering is, how often do you use your employees as part of the R&D program to maybe get the first lift kits, to use them in, in on their trails, their daily life, to kind of get that fast feedback? I know with the automotive manufacturer, as you know, There's fast feedback fleets and there's a brand new vehicle will come out. And before it goes to the dealers, usually there's a couple hundred employees that maybe drive the first ones for a month or so and give all the feedback on quality and what they like and don't like. Do you have something similar with your products?
2: We absolutely do. We've got two different things. One is kind of what we call long-term evaluation. So whenever we have extra parts around the R&D shop, if somebody wants to put them on their own vehicle, I say, yeah, absolutely. But it's long-term evaluation. I need you to give me a quarterly update on them on how they're working, you know, are your wheels going out of balance, what kind of issues are you having so we can build it in through closed loop quality. Yeah. Uh, You know, we can put in improvements, but then we also have this fleet of vehicles. Like right now I have a guy who's probably showing up to our shop right about now who picked up a 2019 Chevy in uh, Elmira, New York. By the way, those just went on sale last week. Like yeah.
1: just became available. So
2: we found out. We bought the very first one we mm-hmm. could get that had four wheel drive and the sensor package yep. and all the safety systems. We need to confirm. Yep. I flew a guy out there Monday night. He picked it up Tuesday and drove it across country. And then tomorrow I have people coming in on a Saturday to measure the vehicle, do an alignment sweep, get all the base data, measure the spring rates and all that stuff, so that Monday we can start uh, developing our new six inch kit, our level yeah. lift kits, our bumpers. Is that a standard or a trail boss? No, we didn't get a Trail Boss. We actually ordered some Trail Boss shocks so we yeah. can so, confirm them.
1: Yeah, so the, so I can tell you from my conversations with General Motors, that lift kit package will be sold at the dealer and will bolt on to any of it. So uh, our friend Tim Herrick, who's the chief engineer for, for General Motors, told us that That was one of his big wins of the 2019 Silverado and GMC program is that they built in the 2-inch lift kit and that those lift kits will be available at the dealer. So you could take your high country and put the uh, Trail Boss suspension on it.
0: Like A lot of guys are going to do that.
1: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, uh, obviously, you can get the 6-liter. You can get the 5.3. There's going to be the diesel uh, 3-liter. There's going to be the 2.7 four-cylinder turbo. Um, a lot of interesting stuff happening on the General Motors side of the fence. I'm, I'm assuming your truck's probably a 538 speed. It's a 53
2: because that's yeah. all we can get yeah. at, You know, right now. Eventually, we'll probably get a diesel as well. Yeah. And, and one of the cool things about being a truck company is Three months from now, there's going to be half a dozen of those in the parking lot sure. in Compton or in Chula Vista. Right. And we'll just borrow those guys and go, hey, how'd you like to get a new lift kit <laughs> Yeah, bumpers? It's so funny to hear you say Compton because I know a lot of listeners are going, <laughs> what? He's in the CPT? I saw that movie. It's like <laughs> yeah, right. It's that,
0: it's that, it's Compton, that Compton, by Compton, by the way. Yeah. It is that Compton. Yeah, when
1: you it's... drive down the freeway, you drive down the 91 freeway. There's, now, there's a, definitely a better side to Compton. Compton's not like it used to be back in the gangster rap days, but- Also, not, you know, it's still a rough town. The the
0: industrial section that
1: they're in is is,
0: different. It's different. And when you drive
1: down the freeway, it's a massive warehouse that he has an amazingly huge American flag just blowing in the wind. And you just go by and you drive by, you see a huge flag, you see trucks and jeeps. You're like, yeah. America, you know? (laughs) Definitely America,
0: for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) You're talking about all this, the, the great lengths you have to do to get this new truck. They, SEMA, you guys are members of SEMA. They have measuring sessions and all these things. Um, it's a it's a it's a race to market for you though. Like you, you,
2: it is. We've already we've gotten the CAD data. We've sent engineers to the measuring sessions both in Michigan and in Diamond Bar. Oh, so we we are definitely up to speed, and we already have parts off laser uh, that our guys were welding together this week to fit up on the vehicle next week. So wow, as soon as the vehicle rolls in, we've got cross members. We've got all kinds of suspension parts. Um, Ready, ready for fit-up because we want to win that first-to-market mm. rate. But we're not going to let the product get out until we've done our safety evaluations. You know, We want to be best-to-market and first-to-market, not just first-to-market. But we're going to try to do both by, you know, they say, to finish early, start early. So the second we got CAD data, I put Your really, engineers really on case. good engineers yeah. right. on developing those products. One of
1: the things that I'm interested in finding out is when you look at the front end of the new uh, Silverado, they have a really interesting control arm design. And so a typical control arm that you would see um, is like a either a cast aluminum piece, a la Ranger, or some of the F-150s, or it's a stamped steel piece, which is very similar to, you know, a lot, of, a lot of trucks use that. Now on the new Silverado, what's interesting is what they did was you have the triangle of the lower control arm, so it's an A-arm, but they have a rod that goes across with two bolts in it. So rather than being one piece, it's a two-piece design. Wait, and so, what? Yeah, so it's not one stamped piece. So I, I had asked uh, one of the engineers at the uh, Chevy Silverado drive, and I said, it's interesting, why go to a two-piece lower control arm like that? And he said, oh, it's because of the sequence of when we build them, you have to be able to put the steering in the up in the cradle. And at that point, the arms are already on it. So we have to be able to basically have that open and then we bolt it back together. So I'm, I'm curious if maybe there's an opportunity for stronger, lower control arms. And I'm also curious about what the strength on the factory arms are going to be with that two-piece design.
2: I don't know at this moment, but we're going to find out because one of the things we do, we've already taken our cross members. I have a picture on my phone somewhere today. We put them into our press and broke them just to see <laughs> how much force the thing yeah. will take so that if you bottom out sure. you know, on a rock or you know have a floor jack or whatever, you're not going to bend. You know It's going to be plenty strong. So we'll do the same thing with all that. We break all the factory components, and then we break our parts. So it's kind of a rudimentary level of testing. but it you sounds know, like fun. We don't have a billion-dollar uh, <laughs> FEA system. We have FEA, and we do a finite element analysis. But yeah. there's a whole different level of, that OEMs can do that, you know, aftermarket companies just can't do. We can't take two years and yeah. instrument a vehicle and drive a rough Who's, road for 100,000 miles. Whose
1: job is that? So I, I can imagine... To break the stuff? Yeah, yeah, right? Because if, if your job is is to be a destructive engineer, destructive analysis engineer or something, like I can imagine like some toddler... And his mom is like, "Oh, this monster baby! Like, you know, he's turning over, you know, bookshelves and climbing on stuff and just destroys the house." And then suddenly, grows up in the no. world and finds out this job is available. There's no, got to be that.
0: that guy. That's not the guy. Doesn't no. work that way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Those are the guys that are breaking the stuff for engineers, and it doesn't please them. I think that's my. my I disagree. I, I don't think it pleases. I don't
1: think it you, pleases them to break their own stuff. I think they take great pleasure in breaking I don't know. other Ted, people's stuff. You
0: tell me, do they take any pleasure in breaking stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: we have, <laughs> we, we have uh, when we. We came out with our long travel uh, suspension. One of the things that we did was break a bunch of control arms. Uh, we broke factory Raptor arms. We broke factory control arms. We broke Camburg arms. Yep. Are you putting confirmed... them in a in a press? Or are you taking them out on the on the trail? Well, both. Okay. Right. I, I try to make sure we get a thousand miles on anything before we turn it on for sale, just so we can live with it for a while and make sure that, you know, this thing's not going to come apart after some hard use. But specifically to the control arms, we made a fixture, and we have a 20,000-pound load cell. We put a two-to-one lever on it, so we could put 40,000 pounds of force, which is, if you think it's a 5,000-pound truck, that's like an 8G landing. Whoa. So that's sending it. That's Andy Bell, Travis (laughs) Pastrana-style sending it. Yeah, that's a a Huckfest-style fail right Right. there, right? Yeah, and I can tell you that the Pro Comp arm is the strongest arm. (laughs) The Camberg arm is the second-strongest arm. And the uh, factory Toyota arm, I think, is the third strongest. Oh, interesting. And then the Raptor and then the Well,
1: Chevy. and what's interesting about the Raptor arm is, you know, when Raptor first came out, it was sort of novel that they had aluminum lower control arms. And I believe that uh, the F-150, the non-Raptor F-150s of that era, also had lower uh, control arms made of aluminum. But I remember when the Baja, you know, scene was starting to play with Raptor, people were breaking control arms. And what they were finding is people were, bump, uh, were putting um, hydraulic bump stops on it and then breaking the aluminum. And ah. so what would, what the aftermarket came up with were these sleeves, these steel sleeves that kind of encase the lower control arm on a Raptor so that there's a landing pad for the hydraulic bump stops. And it so spreads the load. Yeah, so pretty it was a pretty simple solution but it effective. Yeah, but it was sort of interesting people hadn't really seen lower control arms made of aluminum in that sort of uh, stress test scenario and found out, "Oh crap, I'm we have this Wazoo suspension, why am I breaking stock Raptor arms? Which, by the way, a Raptor lower control arm is no joke. It is a, a beefy piece of aluminum and engineering. It's They're they're pretty interesting to hold.
2: Yeah, it's forged. It's really a nice piece. Ted, what kind
0: of competitive testing do you do? Because you just mentioned that Camberg, by the way, we had Jerry in on, on, what, two episodes ago? Yeah. That they were the second strongest lower control arm. So how much testing are, do you do? Because you could just go to market and say, here's the first for the 2019 Silverado 1500 and have at it or do you re-engineer if someone kicks your ass or how does that work?
2: Well, first of all, we have our own engineering standards so we develop to our standards, right? That's one of the things I spent the last three years doing is working with my team to develop engineering standards that are appropriate for our market and that are better than the aftermarket. So I'm not really basing our product quality off of our competitors, but when it comes, we were not experts in the long travel space when we got into it, um, and that, that happened, like I said, one of the reasons they brought me on board was to help elevate our, our engineering capabilities and, and take us to new locations. So I knew Camburg makes a good product. I actually worked with Jerry before Ford ever came out with the Raptor. We built a Tundra with long travel and a supercharger in 37s, and we showed it at the SEMA show. And I was trying to get Toyota to make it back in 2006, uh, and then you know I couldn't get our executives to bite, and then Ford in 09 came out, or 2010, came out yep. with the Raptor. Uh, but I had Jerry make the arms. So ah. I've known Jerry for years. He's a great guy. I have Camberg Long Travel on my Tundra that I built back in 07, one of the very first long travel kits on my daily driver. It used to be called Raging Bull. Now my friends call it Aging Bull. Because it's old. <laughs> <laughs> and I've blown up a bunch of engines recently. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so I just knew they made a good product. So I said, okay, that's a benchmark. We need to be stronger than their product. and And ours is just by a little bit. But I knew that that product isn't failing in the market, so if we can be better than them or in the same ballpark as them, then we're going to be, you know, not have any customer issues.
1: Yeah. So what was interesting when the Raptor came out, it was almost the same color as your Tundra that you guys had built at SEMA. So clearly Ford was paying attention to the space when when you guys had rolled that truck out. But that wasn't the last time that a Japanese manufacturer sort of toyed with the idea of a raptor fighter right
2: yeah well so that particular vehicle was a little too extreme but eventually i managed to get trd pro through toyota and then nissan uh brought in their new xd pickup the diesel which is you know a a big heavy duty diesel pickup truck and they wanted to say hey what would it look like if we did a super high performance off-road version so they approached us at, at four wheel parts at 4wp has the truck and off-road experts and suspension guys and said, can you design a suspension system for us? So we built the suspension for the Nissan, what became the Nissan Titan XD Warrior project. The concept, yeah. Built aluminum control arms and our own internal bypass shocks.
1: That truck blew people away. And I think people saw the Warrior and kind of wish the truck had been styled more aggressively like the Warrior because I think the, the XD and the Titan ended up more on the conservative side, which is fine for some people, but the Warrior, to me, is such a beautiful truck. But I was really shocked when it hit the stage, we saw the truck, and the, the component breakdown came out in the press because it was like, wow, pro comp's on this when normally it's a it's a King or a Fox or somebody like that because the, the marketing reach and to see that you guys were able to pull in a, a big deal OE concept. I mean, this truck was literally on the turntable at the stage of Detroit Auto Show. I mean, this was not like, hey, we sent out some press photos and have some fun with This was a huge thing. In fact, some of the- It was
0: literally under the spotlight. It Literally under the spotlight,
1: yeah. I mean, the Japanese engineers who had been a part of that, the designers, they were all in town for it because this was a huge unveiling. And I'll be honest, hopefully I can tell the story. I don't know. I don't think I have any NDAs with Nissan on this particular story. But I have had executives ask- where should we go next with Titan? Should we build the Warrior? And it's like, ooh, yes, yes, do it, yes, right? So I have no insider knowledge of whether or not there's something brewing over there. I know it's an aspiration for them, but I would love to see a Titan mid-cycle refresh that had some styling cues from the Warrior and even a off-road truck that's in that space because to me... That truck was really cool, and I think the design's probably, I think it's three, two or three years old now, and it still ages well. So if you go on um, you know, the, Google or whatever and, and Google Titan Warrior Concept, and you'll see Ted's suspension on there, but unbelievably beautiful and really well done, and I, w- I was proud of you for being able to be a part of that. How
2: did that come about, Ted? It was really cool. Um, well, we have a good relationship with a lot of the OEM manufacturers, and basically the Nissan California Design Studio... Was doing the body and the concepts, and they needed somebody to develop suspension, so they reached out to to our team. And, and by them, the way,
1: they're San Diego based, so your Chula Vista R&D center is in this not the same neighborhood, but you aren't that far away. You're in, in the same exactly. region of California. And so,
2: and so, you know, they reached out to us, and we said, sure, we'll take this thing on, because it gives us an opportunity to show people what ProComp can do, right? And and you know, we've got the ability to develop really high technology, high performance stuff, and it's got ProComp tires, it's got air bumps on it. Uh, we did a bed cage, or not a bed cage, but a tire mount for the bed. Yeah. A few little things like that as well. Have you done any other work with OEs that we would recognize? Uh, we did the Nissan uh, Ski Patrol Armada. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, that was this year in the uh, yep. in Detroit, I think. Yep. Um, trying to think of what else. Will there really... Will there come a day when we can buy something
0: from the dealership with... Pro I hope comp so. Suspension. I hope so. And I mean, it, one of the reasons would it run I, uh, you
1: ragged to to make that happen? Well, you sort of can now in a roundabout way. So Trans America also has DSI, right? That's Dealer right. Dealer Services International. So a lot of times when you drive by a dealership and you see a lifted truck that has a suspension wheel and tire package that's on the showroom floor, that's another arm of the of the company Ted works for doing that. So, but it, I mean, coming off
2: the line, the like factory. Yes. I can tell you that. Uh, We've flown back to Tennessee, and we've had some meetings with Nissan, and we would love to do suspension upgrades for them all the way up to and including Warrior Nissan. So, if you're listening, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are, <laughs> yeah, it's in their court at this moment. But we've got uh, talented engineers that would uh, just love to. No, so there's work. there's
0: ca- there's cachet to working with a um, with an OE, but also that your 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 margins get shaved because they've got the bottom line to hit and all this. So. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You, It's really wonderful to get to tell the world we work with, fill in the brand. But then on the other,
2: the flip side of the coin is it's got to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's <laughs> what all my vendors told me at TRD. In fact, <laughs> now when I go to SEMA or these other shows, I talk to guys and they go, man, you jumped us through so many damn hoops when you were at Toyota. You know, How does it feel to be on the other side of the table? <laughs> yeah. And that's true because there's a lot of extra validation. Like, you know, Anyway... I completely agree with you, and that's why we don't do a lot of OEM work, but I think where we can have an impact, like uh, TRD Pro helped out Bilstein and Fox, as well as Toyota. So where we can be co-branded with an OEM on a really high-quality, well-developed product, I want to do that because it shows people the amount of engineering that we're putting into our products, and it helps our brand as well. So there are opportunities where I would would love to work with OEMs to co-brand certain products. But not everything, obviously. Got it. Pro Comp is available everywhere, not
0: just four-wheel parts, correct? or is That's it correct. It no, is? it's
2: available everywhere. Uh, Pro Comp, Smittybilt, G2, Rubicon, Express, and Poison Spider, and Trailmaster. You can buy it any place, but 4WP is the best place to buy it because you're going to get the best deal. You're going to get knowledgeable installers that are trained and certified, so you get a lift shield warranty. So if you have a Pro Comp suspension system installed by a certified Pro Comp dealer— whether it's a 4WP store or an aftermarket uh, certified dealer, and there's okay. a lot of those around the country, then we'll match your warranty. So if there's ever a warranty claim denied because you have a pro comp system on your truck, we've got a, a warranty company that will back back you up and take care of you. Really? And we hardly ever get any claims because we do all this work up front to confirm driveline angles and tie rod clearance and cycle everything and right. and do all, all of that work, Right. But, um, but it just gives people peace of mind to know that your warranty is not going to get denied if you buy our products. So at what point do uh, products become too fringe? Like you won't do a
0: 12-inch lift kit or you don't do lowering kits or things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've done lowering kits. I did a really cool Tundra. I don't know if you ever saw the Omega Tundra we showed at SEMA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that long-travel Tundra that was the precursor to the Raptor. Uh, we built that truck, and we built this Omega truck. So we built we built an X Runner that was supercharged; it was badass. We showed at SEMA in '05. Then in '06, uh, we showed the uh, the long travel truck, and then we did this red two wheel drive B cab truck with 22s and supercharger. And we did two different versions of it. We did a show version, and it got such good re- reviews that we were going to try to go into business like a Lightning style truck with right. it. And uh, we actually spent a couple million bucks and got MagnaStire to build the prototype. And it was an actual functional driving prototype. It had a, a performance competition mode button that turned off all the nannies so you could just get complete sideways tire-smoking drifts out of it. Wow. I let my dad drive it behind the uh, Chevy dealership in Long Beach where we used to drag race in high school. <laughs> yeah. And and he's got a- Harbor Chevy? Yeah, Harbor Chevy yes. right there. That's where we used to drag race all the time <laughs> in high school.
1: By the way, uh, all you kids that are listening, do not go drag race behind Harbor Chevy Not anywhere. Not anymore. Yeah. Not like it used to be. Nope. Not at all.
2: Uh, but anyway- it <laughs> It's along a it was, runway, that's why. Yeah, Long yeah. Beach Airport yeah. over there. So Rutledge Wood has that truck now. Toyota oh, gave it to no him, kidding. and he upgraded the body to a 2014. Uh, and so I don't know what color he painted we should have it, but Rettla I saw John. on Instagram. We definitely need to have he,
1: he, He's on. He's a cool guy. I, I, I've, uh, I've got his contact info, and he actually has some weird trucks, too. So it might be kind of fun.
0: Yeah, he's had a. he got a, a couple years ago at CMA, he had that- um, The bread van? The, the bread, bread van. Bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. What makes the qualification? Like, why did you not get
2: into the huge lifts? Things oh, like that. Okay. Or is it just so, straight safety? It, it's, it's a combination of things. Number one, yeah, our customer he is a customer who daily drives their truck. So they want the thing to be able to be usable. If they need to go to Home Depot, they need to pick up a load of gravel. It's got to be a functional truck. But it's you tow. could, you could crush, you know, the
0: the cognitos and the bulletproofs and and you know and and all those guys in a day if you launched a 12 inch kit.
2: We could. We have an 8 inch kit that's coming out right now for Super Duty that fits 40 inch tires, and we've nice. got our two and a half inch shocks that are position sensitive. I mean, we. We are moving up slightly because the market's moving up. People want 40-inch tires on a Super Duty, which they didn't want in the past. But in the real world, the volume of- Just too low? Yeah, it's it's a product volume question. There's okay. not that many people that are going to the 10, 12, 14-inch Kelderman Air Ride, McGow's, you know, type stuff. And, and 4WP will sell it and they'll install it if that's what you want. But that's a really niche market. And even though they're really expensive, so there's a lot of profit there. There's not a lot of volume. So we don't want to spend a lot of engineering resources on something that's going to sell ten a month when we can do something that's going to sell three hundred a month. G- going
1: but, back to you, you know exactly what sells and doesn't because of the retail arm. So you have all your in-house data; it's it's pretty, you know, pretty robust. There's yeah.
0: just some cachet. The same way as working with OES, you know, if I if I go to SEMA and I'm seeing twelve-inch lift kits and it's coming from, you know, whether it's I guess it would be ProCop in this case. It would be right. Um, I don't know. That would be. Pretty cool. I would consider if that, you're,
1: as a consumer if you're in that into that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I get
1: it. They're not selling enough. Yeah. I know you're not. I well, am. I, I I like to do the stuff Ted likes to do. I like to go fast in the desert and you know have a functional truck. I I like to have something where I can go fast and then there's a washout so I can throw it in four low, throw the lockers on, do the technical driving through it, and then get back to going fast. So like that's what I like. to
2: our do. Our department super duty is is the perfect example of that thing. Um, Ryan Canelli drove it on the Moab full-size invasion this year. Awesome, okay. Did all the trails on it. I tow my trophy truck with it. So if you ever see any pictures on Long Beach Racers Facebook of a super duty that's wrapped exactly like the Pro Comp Spec Trophy truck. Yeah. Right? That's that truck. <laughs> okay. And we've had it in iterations from eight inch on forties, which is what it is today. But my favorite is the four inch kit on 37s because it's got twelve inches of wheel travel. Oh, that's got it. And then be with our position nice. sensitive shock, you can tow with it, you can jam ditches with it, I you can it. take it over to Moab. It'll do everything. And and it rides nice and you can drive it down the freeway and it'll pass you know, all the safety tests, so it doesn't handle sloppy like a big old rock crawler. So, you know, that's that's what I like. You I, have, yeah. Hold on a second. You have a huge job, and it just occurs to me we didn't ask about Long Beach Racers. How do you find the time to do Long Beach Racers, and and what is it? what are you racing? So we're racing the Pro Comp Long Beach Racer Spec Trophy Truck. Uh, it's a Toyota, obviously. Long Beach Racers started because I was on the Toyota pit crew for Ivan Stewart back in the day. Me and wow. several of my buddies. And then all of a sudden, Toto quit racing off-road in 2000. So we went down in 2001 to San Felipe, and it was not as much fun. You know, when you're not out there actually helping somebody, you're just drinking beer by a fire. It's cool, but it's not as cool. So we're like, we need to start our own team. So we formed Long Beach Racers. And who's the we? Uh, My dad, my brother, myself, and there was a guy named Matt Wheel who ended up, He's a Cal Poly buddy of mine. He worked for me at TRD. He developed all the TRD wheels.
1: Best last name ever for somebody racing, right? Wheel? Yeah, especially wheels, somebody yeah. who's a wheel engineer. Oh, even better. <laughs> and now
2: he works for Magnuson Superchargers. Okay, great awesome. guy. Yeah. Greatest guy there is. But So the four of us started it, and then you know as we moved on, it basically became me, my dad, and my brothers. But we've got all these friends, Zach Willinger, who's at Nitto Tire, uh, Matt, Danny Reese. I mean, there's just all these guys that are desert racers, and, and Mike Jarbo, a lot of Toyota guys. Um, who basically have all come along. So we've been racing Toyota Tacomas since 03. We had a Class 7S truck. We won the Baja 1000. We won Class Championship. 7S is the modified mini truck. So it started life as a real Tacoma you can buy off the showroom floor. Frame and everything. Yeah, just like old NASCAR stock car. Door slammer, steel body, 12 inches of travel, stock control arms, uh, and and stock engine block. But mm. ours had Ivan Stewart's old trophy truck engine. Because I bought it from Jim Wimmer, (laughs) That's an unfair advantage. (laughs) Yeah, it had too much power. Actually, it was a problem. Oh, really? It had 375 horsepower in a class where everybody else has 180. Yeah. And all that does with 12 inches of wheel travel, you're all limited to 12 inches of wheel travel in the front. So having that much power just makes you break things because you run into Uh, it too fast. Yep. So when we won the 1,000, the throttle position sensor failed and I only had half throttle. And so it actually worked out great and we won. (laughs) So then I figured out, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not all about motor. Maybe durability is about... And Ivan Stewart told me this, you know, when I first started racing, I said, Ivan, can you give me some pointers? And he goes, yeah, you know what it feels like when you bottom out? I go, yeah. And he goes, you know what it feels like when you come off the ground? I go, yeah. He goes, don't do that. Yeah. He goes, if you got 12 inches of wheel travel, use 11. Don't do yeah. that. You know, every time you bottom yep. out, chalk one up on the yep. chalkboard, you only get a few of those and then you're going to break.
1: Rod Hall gave me similar advice. Rod Hall said two things that was was funny. Rod Hall is the winningest man in, in the Baja 1000 history. Um, he's done all, well, I think this is the 50th year, right? And he's yep. planning on doing 50 uh, before he retires. But he said, uh, don't be on the bumps because you're overdriving the suspension. And smooth as fast, right? That's that's the the old racer mantra. So,
2: yeah, we call it being a uh, a cargo pilot, not a fighter pilot. That's what we tell everybody. <laughs> love be a that. cargo pilot. Deliver this car running. Yes. And and we started in 7S, and those average speeds are 25, 30 mile an hour. So it's a 40-hour race for the Baja yeah. 1000. So Ooh. I'm driving 10 hours. My brother's Grueling. driving 10 hours. Yeah. Grueling. Yeah, and then I sold that thing, and I I bought a chassis from the Brenthal brothers to start building a trophy truck. So I bought kind of the floor of a chassis, kind of a do-it-yourself trophy truck kit because I, I'm on a budget. You know, I'm just an engineer. And, and I wanted the Toyota engine, and nobody built one around a Toyota engine. So... What, was the, it like
1: Chevy small blocks and things like yeah, that? Yeah, everybody
2: runs an LS motor yeah. or a Coyote motor. Okay. And I built my truck around a Tundra motor, but then they ended up outlawing it. In the seven years it oh, took really? me to build the truck, what? Oh I wh- got the thing all built around this gigantic Tundra motor that's the size of a big block Chevy, and then it got outlawed. I built uh, two. I built one well, for us and why? one for the Herbsts, And the Herbst ran it in Vegas to Reno. And because we're in a class called Spec Engine Trophy Truck, and because Toyota doesn't offer that engine as a crate engine with an ECU, oh. uh, they don't make it work with a – ha, everybody has to run a turbo 400 transmission. Got it. Which requires an aftermarket ECU. And so I built a bell housing adapter. I got AEM to make me an ECU. I had yeah. Mitch Peterson tune the thing. It was awesome. And it and basically it got outlawed. So <laughs> I, took, I built two. Uh, one of them I gave back to my buddies at Toyota Motorsports. I actually sold it back, and it's in – and if you ever saw the drag co- uh, the Camry drag car, yeah, 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 absolutely. So they they wanted to make that thing a runner, and so they actually okay. got those parts off my trophy truck, put it on that thing. So are you still getting a lot of seat time these days? Yeah. Well, after the 7S stuff, Toyota pulled me out of retirement to go build the stock mini. We ran a Tacoma with Andy Bell and Skull Candy. Then we built a we r- raced a Tundra with Ryan Millen. We won the Baja 1000 in 2014, Drove the thing on the highway all the way back from La Paz <laughs> to Toyota headquarters. And uh, then I left and went to work for Trans and finished my trophy truck. They came on board as a sponsor, which has been the best thing ever. So now it's a pro comp spec trophy truck. Oh, yeah. and, uh, And they're helping out. So we do about three to four races a year just because with my work schedule, that's all I can do. But we raced the Mint Four Hundred, the Baja Five Hundred, and the Baja One Thousand, which are all the best races, by the yeah. way. Yeah, right? all I really want yeah. to do is race in Mexico because I love yeah. tacos. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the tacos <laughs> I mean,
1: down there! It's and it's funny they they will they will chastise you if you say con queso, which is with cheese, right? Because no. You know, self respecting Mexican will have cheese on their taco when you're in Ensenada or Baja. They don't, oh, really? Yeah. So it's a, it's a gringo thing when you go down there. And they're like, they just laugh at you if you're like, yeah. And, you know, they'll have like some cotilla cheese or something like that, which I really like. And, uh, but I, I remember the first time there's an old lady at Estero Beach who made, handmade all the tortillas every single day. And she had to be in her 80s. Best tortillas you've ever had. And we're all down there for the Baja 1000. I used to race with the Halls and, and with Josh. And uh, and we'd go to the taco joint. And I remember I was sheepishly would be like, con queso, please. You know? And, and she would shake her head and laugh and nope. she would sprinkle it on. No, they'd give it to you. No, white boy. But it was, oh, my God. The tacos down there are so good. The best
2: case of tacos are that place out in Via Trinidad, the El Ranchito taco yeah. shop. Yeah. They basically make a little quesadilla and then they open it up and dump meat in yes. it. And it's off the hook. Yeah. It's, the best. Ted, you were living the dream. I'm I'm. Blessed, I, I know man. you're not I'm as wealthy thankful. as maybe you'd like to be, you know, because you're- Well, because he has an airplane. Right? <laughs> oh, he does
0: have
1: an
2: airplane. And, and yeah. he races. Those are like the two strikes against you. But I'm going to say, you. Wait, I'm going to say- up. Ted, do you have a boat? No, I do okay, not Okay, so a that's boat.
1: the trifecta. Airplane, boat, racing. Those are the three that will bankrupt you. So Ted's only on the ragged yeah, edge. I've only got two out of three, <laughs> so
2: I'm all right. You're living the dream. But yeah, I'm really thankful. It's been just- an amazing ride, and I'm just, you know, every day I'm And you still to got it, yeah, go there's
0: still amazing things to do at Pro Comp. Yeah. yeah,
2: well, you know, innovation is my favorite thing, right? So we're developing, I mean, if you look at our new M1A2 line of Smittybilt built bumpers, they've got big radiuses, we've got a high and tight design, kind of that desert racing ethos, so it exposes the front tires so you have better approach angles. It's the first bumper that's modular, so it comes with I forget that LED you're in charge of all of yeah, these, all, that all stuff. the brands. Yeah. No, I was just thinking Pro Comp, but I forget that you're over the
0: entire umbrella. Yeah, so the, all, we're oh, innovating
2: all over the place. We, we just launched our G2 air-disconnectable sway bar, which we have a patent on. So if you've got a Jeep JK, you can now, in addition to being able to do your lockers by air, you can do your front sway bar by air. So you don't have to get out of the car oh at all gosh, to disconnect, yeah. and it's got a, a dual rate. So that it still maintains a light rate, even when it's disconnected, so that you can get full articulation, but you still have some sway control. Every day, we're trying to innovate in, in, in two ways, right? Iterative intera- innovation, making the next generation better than the current generation, and then clean sheet. So we've got some cool stuff we're working on, especially in the shock space. Uh, that'll be coming in the next couple of years. That, How often you know, do you walk out of um, a meeting? You
0: know, you you got a whiteboard, I assume, in one of the office, and you walk out and you and you pause and you say, "I just, I think like that was it. Like we just, yeah, yeah, we, we just knocked it. it out of the nailed park." It.
2: Where you're you're giddy like a little schoolgirl. You can't wait to like start building. How often does that happen? Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's happening more and more. You know, and and I love it. I mean, I I just love when I walk out and I go, "You know what? This thing's really going to work. I think we can make this thing." You know, we can do something new that nobody's done, or we can do something better than, you know, our competitors, and we can win. And, you know, as a racer, I always want to win, right? Yeah, so absolutely. anything we can do to, to win, to provide more value for our customers, make something that's going to delight them, beat, you know, beat our competitors to market with a tested, high-quality product, I mean, that's a win to me. Yeah.
1: So, so Ted Moncure uh, of Transamerica Auto Parts and uh, living the dream, innovating – Great storytelling, great history. If people want to follow you on social, uh, where can they find you at?
2: Yeah, so I'd say, first of all, look up Long Beach Racers on Instagram or Facebook, and then I'm Baja Ted on Instagram as well. And
1: then Um, if uh, they want to go and get their truck uh, installed with some mini-built bumpers and a Pro Comp long-travel suspension kit, where would they
2: go? Yeah, 4WP, man. Go to uh, 4WP.com, you know, four-wheel parts. We've got everything you need. And uh, we've got knowledgeable people to help you figure out exactly what to get, and train sales and ins- installation people to and make it, sure and it gets done. And if there isn't one in your town, quality. then you live in a bad town. Yeah, there
1: will yeah, be. Right, you they live they're in they're a they're really in. small town. Yeah, I wonder. You know what? I wonder if you look <laughs> at the map, what's the furthest distance you could live from a four wheel parts right now?
2: Well, I can tell you it used to be Minneapolis, Minnesota, but now okay. that Polaris owns us, we have yeah. a store in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, interesting. So I don't interesting. know the stats on that, but I could find out and let you know.
1: Oh, man. That'd be awesome. Well, thanks so much for carving out the time. And hey, Thank uh, you
2: guys. This has been great. And, you know, I appreciate it and, and love to yeah, have been... you guys come down to our R&D center sometime and check that oh, out. Oh, hell yeah. Can we get a plane ride down, we're down there? On. Absolutely. I, I would love
1: to carpool with you to work one day.
2: Yeah, I could pick you up at John Wayne on my uh, way in. Uh, and now,
1: wait. are you in a, Is it a
2: two-seater or four? It's a four-seater. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but you might be over. You know, I'm you, over. You're not allowed to Mr. bring any cargo. Shut up! <laughs> I think the three of us. You know, we're all we're about hitting the, same l- size, the weight limit. So yeah, yeah. The three no of us backpacks. <laughs> at our maximum weight. Capacity. I'll oh. sit in the
0: center, in the back, <laughs> in the center, so I don't throw it left or right. <laughs> there you, you know, throws into a tailspin.
1: Hey, That's hey, right. Ted, do you have a, a lot of slide. left rudder today? <laughs> no, we we would love to, man. And, and again, oh, hey, so real quick, I need to give a shout out. If it's okay with you? Absolutely. Chuck
2: Chrisman on the Long Beach Tracers team. He's an avid listener of this podcast. Wait, hold on. No
1: way. We need that we need somebody oh, yeah. to clap, right? Oh, no, no that's the wrong, wrong one. one. <laughs> Hold on, how about...
0: Oh, no, that's, that's not, not it. Anywhere. That's oh, not right. it either. Oh, you're we, looking for this one?
2: Yay! Okay, there yeah, we go. All right. Chuck's got a uh, Fall Guy Chevy pickup truck. Yes! So. Yeah, Lee Major Oh, my Major God, we need, to,
1: we need to get into the Fall Guy yeah, because there are yes. stories about that truck and that series.
2: Uh, very cool. And then my son, Jack. Jack is an absolute gearhead, and he... Uh, Heard I was coming on. He wanted to come into the studio, but I wasn't coming all the way home before yeah. I came in, so he couldn't. So.
1: Well, you know, next time we have you in, we'll have Jack come with you, and I think you owe Jack a mounted pair of meters.
0: Oh yeah. All right, hold on a second. I got a— Special uh,
1: for him. Here we go. You probably don't know the history behind that. Uh, that sound by Dave. Ask Jack if he listens; he'll know. He can right. he can fill you in on that. I, I will explain. All right,
2: you're the best. Thanks all for right. coming. Next really time, I'll it. tell you the story of my son's fake raptor too, which is a fun story. Oh, now we have to have him oh, back. Don't tease us. <laughs> all right, we'll all right. do it. Thank, Thank you guys you. very right. much. Right. Thanks,
1: Ted.
4: Hello.
0: Hey, John. It's Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. What's happening? Great. How are you? We're fantastic. So Holman, my counterpart here on the show, does not know why we're calling you. No idea. He has no idea. He thinks this might be a prank on him, but it's not. No clue. So you and I, uh, John, were talking earlier this week and we we're discussing truck stuff uh, unrelated to the podcast. And you happen to mention that you owned a Nissan Titan. Yes, and: sir. And you are a right. huge Nissan Titan fan, and it had a lot of miles on it, and you're like, "Dude, this thing's never going to die." I wanted yeah. to get you know our show is proudly sponsored by Nissan, and to hear you talk so um, reverentially about your truck, I wanted to hear more about it. So can you tell us what year your Titan is and how many miles and what kind of maintenance
4: it's required over the last well, couple I'll tell of years?: you, it, It's a little bit unbelievable. My Titan is a2,000 five Nissan Titan le I bought it brand new in Muskegon Michigan that's the first year yeah well no I think I think that it was a I think there was a 4 Oh, four. maybe
1: there was an O four and a half I think four is when yeah, they were launched. Yeah. yeah. Some, okay. but
4: they were they were the exactly the same truck yep. yes and um it had 11 miles on it when I bought the vehicle Wow it now has 420 thousand miles on it. What? <laughs> right. Yeah, 4- 420,000 miles. And I'll tell you the extent of what has been done to the motor. It had spark plugs at 100,000. It had spark plugs at 220 <laughs> uh, or 210 and, and then 320, I think. I've never replaced a coil pack. I've never replaced any gaskets. It has the original water pump. Wow. The original alternator, <laughs> um, the original thermostat. I thought the thermostat was going out years ago because it was getting hot. And then you just it hit was, it with a hammer? get it going <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you know what i've heard i've heard that that works but actually what i what i found out was that it was just um all the little fins in the radiator were folded over from so much road debris you know just, just yeah.
1: 400 I, 000 miles yeah.
0: yeah
4: yeah i straight i straightened them out and i was good to go okay yeah.
1: more I mean, importantly i know i know we're mm-hmm. talking about the mileage and i know we're talking about huh? the the engine and, and the durability of the truck i kind of want to know how many accidents has it been in four hundred thousand miles
4: one very minor one very, wow very minor. yeah
1: man you are yeah. living right my friend
4: <laughs> yeah i was lucky i had you know um a friend was pumping gas at the uh pumping gas at the gas station and someone hollered out my truck at him and next thing i know i'm looking over at him and there's a car stopping in front of me and i yeah kind of bumped into the back of a ford taurus a little bit but oops other than that nothing yeah i mean it's um you know i other than that, I think I've had five sets of tires on it or something. You know, what's a Discount Tire. <laughs> what's your favorite
1: thing? tire brand for your truck? Have you been a repeat oh, customer? Do you just do I, the cheapest or what? Uh, no,
4: I, no, I love the Michelin's. I lo- that's <laughs> I, a great I really tire. I, yeah, I can't complain I, with
1: that. That's a good. That's a great tire. Yeah,
4: yeah The Michelin LTX is a great tire. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's um, been an unbelievable truck at 400 and I think it's like 417 or something now. What's your favorite part of that Nissan Titan? Um well the exhaust for one thing it yeah. has still headers I have still in headers on it okay. um, has a great a great note I mean it has a great sound to it it's it's fast I mean for for a vehicle that from that year um it is it, it's blistering fast for you know for that year for a gas engine truck I love the fact that the engine's all aluminum you know the heads the block yep. everything way more than I ever expected it to be I mean you know, it was it was my first new truck that I ever bought. I had a Silverado before that, and I you know kind of went out on a limb. And I live in Michigan; it's Big Three country up there. Um, oh yeah, you you're the mean, odd man oh, out he, on the freeway for sure. Bucking the trend. So you go to Florida, you see tons of Titans. not so in Michigan. What about uh you know obviously
1: uh, Michigan uses a ton of road salt, and mm-hmm. how's the body holding up and the frame? And
4: it's very good, very good. Yeah, there's there's really I mean very very little rust to speak of on it. I mean, you know, it has that little um, that uh, storage door on the rear passenger yep. side, right behind the original
1: in bed storage for modern trucks. That was yeah, the uh, the exactly. what we we talked yeah. about this lightning. And I talked about this when uh, Nissan came on as as our sponsor, and we were talking about all the innovations. And if you think back to your truck, the O four O five Titan, there's a ton mm-hmm. of stuff on that truck nobody was doing. One of them is the towing mirrors that have the convex and the concave. Um, yep. On it, Love it, it was in bed Love storage them. when nobody was doing in bed storage. It was Love bed lighting.
4: Downs. Yeah, the yep.
1: utilitrack tie downs and the fact that you had yep. a factory bed liner; those are all standard things for the most part in the truck world yes. today. Nobody yeah. had that until Nissan came out with it in, in with the uh, the O four O five Titan that generation yeah. uh, launched. Basically, what you see is standard in in the uh, in the truck oh. world today.
4: How about the how about the fold open rear doors? You know, the 180 doors yes. that, Chevy, that Chevy implemented right after the yes. Titan. <laughs> the yeah.
1: fat, and people go, why is that important? So if you think about it, if it's a king cab or, or extended cab, yeah. on the yep. Titan, the door was the first one that would open up and fold back on itself 180 degrees. What that yes. allowed you to do is you don't get stuck in a parking lot between the car next to you with your front door open and your rear door open going... Well, where do yeah. I go now? You, you have a way you can't out, go
4: basically. Anywhere. Yeah, no, you can <laughs> fold that door all the way open. Yeah, slide against the side. Yeah, against the cap, uh, Against the box. Yeah.
1: See, see what I'm
0: saying? So now I surprised you, Holman, yeah, and yeah. You, you weren't expecting. I this. almost
1: feel like we need to call Brent Hagen at Nissan right now and go, "Hey, you need to. You guys need to talk, right? <laughs> right? He needs a, the Nissan yeah. team needs to come look at your truck and see all the things they did right back then." Well, I was just when I was talking Absolutely. to Johnny, he was so
0: enthusiastic about his truck, and I'm like, I, "This seems natural. I got yeah. to him on," and and so it just happened pretty organically. And well, he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you about my Nissan. I go, wait, what, do you have any idea what I do? And he's like, no. <laughs> I go, I have a podcast, and we, we have Nissan as a sponsor. And he's like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. And I'm like, right, I'm going to call you up until tell you tell Holman all yeah. about your truck. No, man, so. that's
1: awesome. So I guess we know why a uh, Nissan feels comfortable with a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty on the current uh, Titan, right?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're a great truck, great truck. <laughs> my brother liked mine so much, he went and bought an 08 Pro 4X.
0: See, there you go, there you go, right yeah. on, man. Mm-hmm. All right, John. Well, thank you very much for talking to us uh, about the title. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it. Not a problem. All right, All right brother. We'll we'll talk talk to, you. to you. Thanks.
4: All right. Bye. Yep. Bye.
1: Well, how about that—a Nissan Titan with uh, over four hundred thousand miles. You thought
0: miles. for sure I'm I was like, coming oh, at you God, with something. What was, is it now. It was going to be like some bad Las Vegas story oh, where God, drunk yeah. or something. No, it's man. Horrible. No, this is great. Now it's no joke. Like I, I literally was talking about some business. and I like Oh uh, yeah, I've got a Nissan. That I, I'm not going to. He bought a new truck. Okay. But he was telling me he bought a new truck to experiment with another brand. Yeah. And which he's a little disappointed with. And he goes, I should have just stuck with my with my Nissan. I go, What are you driving? He goes, Oh, I got an 05 Titan. blah. blah. I go. You got an 05? He's like, oh, yeah, it's
1: got 400-plus thousand miles on it. <laughs> yeah, we I thought
0: he was joking. I go, ah, uh, yep. we need to get
1: you on well the Well done. I, yeah. I, I, I have to give you kudos for that, for uh, thinking about the podcast, because uh, I'm sure our friends at Nissan will, uh, will love hearing that they've got customers out there. Good job. Good job. <laughs> By the way... Um, that was you self-clapping. I, I don't have any uh, any access to the buttons over there, so... That was me clapping for uh, myself. For yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And there we go No, again. no,
0: there's like four or five people clapping for us, yes. Yes. Holman, I thought we had eradicated the ants because you screwed up and left the air conditioning on, yeah. which I know we shouldn't talk about because it's costing your company a lot of money. <laughs> Especially but we, since we're only here once a week. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we came in... And um, it was freezing in here. It, it was, was as cold as it's ever been. It was really refreshing. You could hang meat, yeah. So if we were talking a little faster last episode, it was <laughs> we cold. We we're freezing, and I'm not even. That's no joke. What it was we noticed freezing in here. is that the ants were gone. They don't like the cold. Right. It's the heat. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's hot as hell outside, and yeah. it's warmer in here because, of course, we're operating the air conditioning like it's supposed to be run only yeah. when we're here, not when, when, we're, when not. we're not. And of course, the ants are back, and it sucks. Yeah. And I'm, I'm. Flicking, hold on, that's me flicking one <laughs> off the microphone. It crawled all the way up yeah, the uh, the, arm.
1: the spring-loaded boom arm <laughs> onto the microphone. I know where there's not ants. Uh, where? Inside a Nissan Titan. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> oh, man. Those, those uh, triple-sealed doors will be really nice for keeping ants out. Maybe we should do our podcast inside a Nissan Titan. It would sound different. It would be it would sound really nice. It would be a deadened sound. Way better than the echoey uh, ant chamber that we're currently in. Yeah, well, I mean we have Harbor Freight packing blankets on the walls. <laughs>
0: if you know, like you, if you ever see our socials and you go, is that a packing blanket yes, on the wall? Is. Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> and uh, no lie, I carried this over here in the back of a Nissan Titan. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You know yeah. what it's time for? Uh must be inbox. It is. All right.
0: You eat out. Email, type it up, you email, proofread, I email, send it, we email, (laughs) click it, everybody email! I think this must be your favorite intro. It's not. Oh, but, it's not. No, no. Which one is? Not even a little bit. But you jam every. It's my favorite one could to dance see. to. Holman, he bobs his head. Sometimes he actually kicks the chair out and then stands yeah. up sometimes, and grooves.
1: Sometimes my uh, from my my chin banging my uh, beard hits the mic. Yes, it does. All right, I'm going to start this
0: off with uh, BJ Bain uh, emailing us. Lightning and Holman after listening to the new podcast today. I realized that I did a couple of truck show no-nos in my email on Friday. First off, I've left my review on the iTunes store, and...
4: Five stars! Five stars! Oh, yeah, right, Thank you. It's
0: funny, because he wrote it. It's it's dot, 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 five stars, ah. and then three exclamations. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Love it. Secondly, three trucks I currently own are a 2003 GMC Sierra 1500 4x4, My winter driver, a 1969 Ford F100 two-wheel drive. And my summer daily driver and a 1970 F250 4x4, which is a project that needs to be started. I have a body donor for it and everything. And yes, I've included pictures of all three trucks below, including a picture of the truck that started it all for me, my dad's 1970 F100, with little me standing next to it. (laughs) That's cool. And what was I thinking, giving you a shirt size and no location. Don, he has his address below. And of course... We don't have things like summer and winter vehicles in no. Southern California. It's nope. always the same weather. I, I, you know what I mean? So he's, a, in, he's in
1: Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. you might have a work car and then your personal car, maybe if you're lucky and have a job. that, But nobody has a winter car.
0: Well, I mean- Maybe a
1: Sunday driver, but not seasonally. Maybe. Well, you, know. you
0: have to because the roads are salted and all that kind of crap.
1: But Absolutely. Yeah, very, very cool collection of trucks. Uh, so I've got one here from Ryan, and I don't know if you uh, remember, he had emailed us in the past- and he was the one who talked about having a work truck that was a base model Nissan Frontier. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. Right, and he said, uh, you know, he knows how long it takes to to polish the knob on the shifter, how fast the uh, the windows <laughs> roll up. He spent so much time in that truck, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you remember, he told us that he would let us know when he hit sixty miles an hour. Okay. So literally, got an email from him the other day. Dot 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 sixty. <laughs> Thank you. That's pretty fun. All right,
0: this one is from Erling Loge. I don't have any idea of how you pronounce his last name. He's from, he's from Sweden or Finland or Norway or somewhere. Somewhere I, I, he's going to correct us again. I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to read this verbatim. And I, God bless you, Erling. Thank you very much for writing and listening. He is our bus driver. He is yes. overseas and he drives a bus. He listens to the podcast while he's at work, which is awesome. He's a bus driver. We love that. Here's his email. Didn't the first mail review count any longer? And need one also in a comeback letter as I forgot to send you address and answered on that you wanted to call? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> uh, and then it goes on and says, you are all still five star and Gail Banks was gold.
1: Five star! Five star! <laughs> all
0: right. So I don't know what you're talking about, Erling. <laughs> we love you and it's and God I, bless you and keep it. I think coming. he's saying
1: he forgot to send us the address to send him a, uh, a shirt. Well, then... He didn't send me his address. There's no address on this. <laughs> so did he
0: forget so again? So I don't
1: know. Yeah, he forgot again. But he did send you a cool picture of his I love his bus. bus.
0: That is a rad bus. No, it is awesome a very bus. modern, propane-fueled bus. It is a very nice bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, I've got one here. Love your show from John. John says, hello, Holman and Lightning. Ooh, he put my name first. That's so exciting. Yeah, Dick. Uh, this is John. I'm a truck enthusiast from the west shore of Lake Tahoe, California. I found your show through TFL Truck Videos, which is interesting. So I see those guys at a TFL bunch of- TFL Truck Videos? Yeah, I see those guys all the time at press events, but I never talked to them about the show. So I'll have to figure out if they gave us some props or something. That's so, What cool. does
0: TFL stand for?
1: Uh, I don't know. Well, we've got a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, so we no, need I to mean, talk to uh, some TFL But people. I know the guys. I know the guys well. You know. Okay. So, uh, yeah. It's cool if they gave us a shout out. We really appreciate it. Um, he says, I'm a longtime subscriber of Truck Trend and four-wheel drive Toyota owner. I used to be all Toyota all the time, but in 2016, I switched teams and now have a quad cab EcoDiesel Outdoorsman Wow, right oh. so very cool. He says, he's a carpenter contractor and unfortunately not a mechanic and has limited funds. And he says he considers himself an armchair enthusiast. He says his truck is leveled, airlift 5,000 is in the rear with black fuel recoils just to make it a little cooler than stock. Sure. He says, I love your show. You guys and your guests speak my language. I love the in-depth interviews and history with your guests like Gail Banks, Aaron Kaufman, and Jerry from Camburg. I look forward each week to the next episode. Thank you both very much. Five stars. Five stars. Says, nice. uh, by the way, large T for me, please. All right, so a couple more. I got one from Justin here. He says, hey, guys, just wanted to let you know I'm really enjoying the show and especially like the show with Gail Banks. Being around diesels all my life and doing performance mods on them, I have obviously heard about Banks, but I've never used any of their parts. After listening to the interview with Mr. Banks and hearing how they go after reliable, sustainable power for diesels, instead of all the power a truck can handle but not being reliable in the long run, I decided to go out and purchase the Derringer for my 2018 L5P. Ooh, So, A, nice, and B, baller. Yeah. So, he says, listening to the information that Mr. Banks gave about why they build the parts they do made a lot of sense and made me realize it's not always about how much power you can give a truck. It's about how much reliable power you can give a truck. I just wanted to tell y'all again thanks because if it wasn't for the podcast and especially for Mr. Banks, I'd still have my old mindset about power for the new diesels that I had for my older ones. Please pass along my thanks to Mr. Banks and let him know I will tell all my buddies about his products and passion that he has for our diesel community Thanks, Justin. And I love this P.S. Keep those beautiful intros coming, LMAO. Oh, nice. All <laughs> right, Justin, this is for you. Mounter monitor key engine parameters. <laughs> never gets old. Uh, it never gets old. Except for when it does, but I'm not there yet. I, don't th- I think we have a long way to go yeah. before it gets old. I mean, people want mounted parameter shirts. It's not long enough. You I know what, what I mean? It's not like it's yeah. two minutes no, long. No, no, no. I've literally had people come by my office, you know, just sitting there at work. And so I've got like this... uh Door opening and then, like, big fishbowl glass, you know, walls. No, I've seen your office, yeah. it's all glass. So, people walk by and they just sort of out of the corner of their mouth will yell, Mount parameters. <laughs> and so, I look up, but they're around the corner before I see who it was. So, uh, I don't know what that's all about, but apparently, people are listening in the office. Mount your parameters. <laughs> all right, I got one here from Reed. And, uh, and Reed says, Hi, Lightning and Holman. First off, gotta hi, say, Hi, Reed. Hi, Reed. First off, I gotta say, I love the show and what you guys are doing and how you're informing people on in the world of trucks. Not really sure how I found out about the podcast, but I loved it as soon as I listened to the episode of Aaron Kaufman, and I started from the beginning. On the Chevy ZR2 episode, you guys mentioned you wanted to hear breakdown stories. My story isn't much of a breakdown, but it's how I totaled my first truck. Ooh, so yeah, this could be good, right? Yeah. Or, or bad, I guess, if you are uh, if you read. Yep. My first truck when I was a senior in high school was a 2001 four-liter, two-wheel drive Ford Ranger with a Fabtech lift kit, 16-inch wheels, and 33s. A perfect first truck. Yep. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Says, on the day I graduated from high school, ooh, on the day he graduated? Yeah. What happened? He says, uh, which was about two years ago, I was taking a friend back to his house when something in the front end of my truck broke and I hit a car and totaled my Ranger. <laughs> so he sends a picture of a broken disc brake still attached to the wheel of the truck. Looks like maybe a uh, wheel bearing or a unit bearing failed and his tire left. The, uh, the right side of his Ranger, and he ran into a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh, man. Dude. That and it's
0: also scary. I mean, super he, could scary. Have, he could have killed somebody with, yeah. that, with that wheel going
1: down. Well, there. not good when you watch one of your wheels and tires pass you.
0: <laughs> you <know? laughs> not at all. So, hey, uh, re- I have, um, We've never talked about this. Okay. I'm a guy who's always in the number one lane, the fast lane. Unless yep. there's carpool, and if I have someone in there, I'm in carpool lane. I have a weird fear that there is going to be a wheel and tire that comes over the center guardrail and smashes me like um what's that movie? Um the movie series where uh final final, final s- destination, final destination yeah. where the pipe comes yeah. through and, yeah. and, and and that's it. right through the head. Damn, I have the same
1: vision of a wheel coming over. Is that your irrational fear? Yes. Is that from when you used to ride motorcycles, do you think? I, I I don't know. Because I always wondered on my I don't know. riding motorcycles is always finding a, a truck dumping something in front of me and yeah. having to swerve. And I'll tell you, one time I was on the 110 freeway on my way to downtown L.A., and there was a dump truck in front of me, like a full-size dump truck. Yeah. And it had rocks in the back. It hit a bump, and one of those rocks came, and I'm doing about 70, and I'm watching it go one bounce. Oh, no. It's about 30 feet in the air. Two bounce, about 20 feet in the air third bounce, about 10 feet in the air. The next bounce is me. I ducked and went right over my shoulder. Oh, Because you know how Lord. when you're riding, yes. you have like visual fixation yes. or object fixation. You head right toward it. I'm watching this thing, and then I'm like, ooh, I have to duck, you know, and uh, went right over the top of me.
0: Oh, you got so Dude. lucky. And
1: it was probably a good, like, maybe... Six inches in diameter? Could kill you. Oh, it would knock you off your bike if it hit you. I mean, it was... so. Did you see that
0: video recently where... um, I have no idea how old the video is, but it's the motorcyclist and he's following the uh, the truck and he's pulling a boat and on the back of the boat is one of those foam mats that you can float on at the river. Sure. You know, it's about... I don't know. Let's call it a 10-foot... Wide floating mat that's maybe two inches thick. Okay, yeah, six people can sit uh, sit on it sure. at, when you're at the lake yeah, yeah, yeah. or something, right? You just just float. And it's bungee corded up to the back of the boat. Okay. And so the motorcyclist is in the number one or whatever. He's 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 hauling ass and he's bobbing through traffic and then he starts following the truck. Oh, pulling the boat. never follow anybody. Pulling in my the mind. boat and then this thing starts flapping in the wind and the and it's it's like a big carpet reel or, a, or just a big roll of carpet, right? This foam yeah. mat and it breaks off oh. and it hits. The freeway, and he smacks it, and he just right off the bike. Oh, that, and he, you know, he looks like he was wearing leathers, Good. and obviously has. should, it's, yeah. And I, you, I have no idea what happened to him, but whoever was shooting the video, oh, he he wasn't
1: shooting from like a GoPro or something. No, no, somebody else no, got, somebody it, bar- else got oh, him.
0: So he goes right off the bike, uh, high sides it, and just yeah. <laughs> launches him. And I thought I, I have those. Yeah, I had those vision. fears when yeah. I was riding my, GS, my GSX-R back yeah. in the day, but. I don't know. I have this fear of this wheel coming over. Really? I don't know why.
1: So, so I, I can uh, totally understand Reed. Um, what I didn't understand is I had a four-wheel drive Ranger, same, same era as that, and I, had a, I blew a CV axle. And so I took the CV axle out of the truck and drove like four miles home. Well, what I didn't understand, you know, I pull in the driveway and the wheel has this really weird negative camber. And I'm like, what, what uh-huh. the hell? Well, what I found out later is the wheel bearings on those trucks have to have the stub shaft through them with the wheel nut or with the uh, the hub nut on okay. it in order to hold the wheel bearing together. Oh. And I was coming down a hill, made a left turn, and the front end kind of Started got to weird. to fold. And I made another mile to my house, and I looked, and the wheel, so I jacked it up. I put an axle in it and all that, and I went to, I think it was in high school because I'd gone to auto shop. Uh, and, and asked a question. They're like, oh, or maybe I was, work- I was working at an independent shop at the time. I talked to one of the mechanics. He goes, no, you have to have the stub shaft in there to hold that bearing together. So that was almost me. And I think the reason his uh, his disc brake is broken is because the caliper was holding it on as the tire wanted to separate, which is what happened to me. The brake system was essentially holding my wheel and tire on enough to get me home. Right. So, oh, Spooky. the things you learn when you're young, my friend. <laughs>
0: I, we can't end the show on a that on a downer. downer. Yeah, let's yeah. bum out. Um, I I like Swedish fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh,
1: you're going on vacation next week. I am going on vacation. Uh, this this week. This week. All right. So yes. here, here is my pledge to you to end on a happy note. Okay. While we're out of the uh, the studio, did I say earlier that I like Swedish fish? You did.
0: What a bizarre segue!
1: <laughs> I don't even know how that popped
0: into my head. But wait, just wait, wait, there. wait,
1: even I think you're burying the lead. Do you really like Swedish fish? I love them. Oh, interesting. I love. Who doesn't like no, Swedish but here's the fish? Swedish fish. I'll eat them if they're out. Yeah. But I don't seek them out because they have that weird like flavor profile that's just slightly off. It's like not strawberry, but it's not cherry, but it's not. it's just you know what it tastes like? I know what it tastes like. It tastes red. Um, yeah. Like, they're red-flavored, right? But I like them better (laughs) than gummy bears. No, no, it depends on the gummy bears. Not the Haribos, which we joke are horrible because they are horrible, but... Uh, the Heidi's, the Heidi gummy bears. I don't know oh, those. So good. Those are the ones we grew up with in the little bags that were green and brown. Oh yeah. Those were okay. where you used to take the head off the red one and put it on the pineapple one. Yeah, and you yeah, would yeah, do that.
0: yeah. Well, we used ours because we would we would lick it for you put it in your yeah, mouth for yeah, yeah. like I don't know fifteen seconds and then you throw it at the back of the teacher when they were walking away. <laughs> and it would, it would stick. Oh yeah, it was like <laughs> glue, It was like super glue on the back of the shirt. <laughs> we had Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Noel, our uh, what, what seventh grade Spanish teacher. Oh, he would walk around the class <laughs> with like <laughs> ten of those things on the back. What of the do you shirt. think
1: his end of the day? Was when he got home and 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 realized that he'd been sitting on gummy bear heads all day. He, he must have hated oh, his life. Yeah. He must have just hated. That's his life. That's a tough life being a teacher. Where you're you know, I, I remember we had a few in high school that that were there for like maybe thirty five years. And at the end when I, when I was there, it was like the tail end. Like my dad and I went to the same high school, and so some of the teachers that were there for my dad, yeah, were there for me, yeah. And I'll never forget. There was this one guy, Mr. Ewers. He, he I don't think he particularly liked me. So I had him sign my yearbook. And he wrote in my uh, yearbook, goodbye and good luck. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. That's awesome. I remember Mr. Knoll, we had
0: him for band class, and then we had him for Oh, Spanish. he hated life for sure. Spanish so, and band. So check this out. My band class, because the theft was so bad <laughs> at my school in my, my junior high, that there were no windows. Okay. Oh, interesting. And there, was, there was no windows. So it was like they, prison. Uh, so there were two doors, <laughs> and his uh, his office, his little tiny office, was on the far side opposite the light switch. Only one light switch in this whole classroom. I kid you not. Huh. If there was another light switch, someone had put a book cabinet or something over it. Sure. We would walk in, and he had a baton that he loved. He would, you know, he would... Yeah, right. All right,
1: class. Ah, my, and, my baton. And he, let's and he had his baton that he music. would do his
0: conductor thing Okay, yeah. And... As soon as he would go to his little his little cubby hole uh, 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 his office Tony Honor I can't remember it's Tony Honor he was the class troublemaker <laughs> We all had and one of them right He would get up to walk over to towards the the light switch but he'd uh, pretend like he was getting some papers out of the cubby or something and click the lights off and
3: absolute
0: (laughs) mayhem people were throwing their instruments we were playing the drums as loud as we could the tuba was saying f "F you mr noel through the tuba itself it was crazy everybody would scream mr noel Noel!" but not like help us but like just mocking him and they're in different voices so and he would he would it through, and, and and people were throwing their actual music stands <laughs> through the air. Oh it was clobbering what, people. What city were you? It was. Did you go this, to school in Long Beach? City of Orange. Oh, in Orange. The There's
1: Orange. not that many high schools in Orange. I'm sure you can figure I it know, out. I know. <laughs> and, dude, I'm
0: telling you, it was like a punk concert in there. It was oh, man, go. shit going everywhere. It was crazy. And he would oh. make it over to the lights, and he would be like, what's going on? What's going on? And dude, there was carnage all over. This, by the way, this happened twice a week. Oh, twice a week. Just, and then he would go back to his podium, and he would look for his baton. You're horrible people. He would look for his you're baton. You're horrible people. And every single time, someone would take his baton and hide it. They would put it under a desk. They'd put it behind a poster oh, on the wall. And he would take oh. him...
1: And he would have to no, go to the No, the joke's on one. you. He had 50 of those in his dust drawer. <laughs> he must have,
0: because he always got a new one. He was obsessed oh. with that. Oh, my and it God. It was just crazy. We would just brew that. You guys that were the guy.
1: biggest a-holes. I remember, uh, you know, I don't know how we got on the high school stories, but this reminds me. So, you know how you at your high school, you would have that like resident substitute teacher, right? Sure. So, it's the one guy, you know, ours was Mr. Brown. Everybody loved Mr. Brown. You couldn't wait for Mr. Brown to be your sub because he knew it was going to be a chill day, and he was cool, and usually watched a movie or something like that. Sure. And I remember nobody ever messed with Mr. Brown because he was cool. Like, you want to keep the people around that you like. And we were in Mr. Ezrin's, uh, I think it was a science class. Sure. Mr. one had once caught the ceiling tiles on fire with an experiment in our class. That's my kind of guy. Yeah, right? Do you remember we would have those carts and you have a TV on it and a VCR and they would wheel it from room to room, right? Anyone who grew up in the yeah. 80s or
0: early 90s knows remembers the VCR that cart, cart, right? Yes.
1: So he wheeled the cart to the front of the room and plugged it in, not knowing that it had been sabotaged previously.
0: Ooh, with porn?
1: <laughs> so he turns on the TV, he turns on the VCR, he hits play. He turns around and takes four steps away, and that music comes on, and Mr. (laughs) Brown turns around as fast as I've ever seen him no, and like dives in slow motion for the stop button on the VCR. (laughs) We're laughing our asses off, but I remember we got a visit from the vice principal on an investigation on that one, but it was like full on. We were like, whoa, music and everything. That is a great (laughs) prank.
0: Oh, my gosh. I remember. Oh, dude. We can't
3: go on. We can't. This is
0: crazy. (laughs) No, this is the Truck Show podcast, and we're way off base. I apologize. I, I sit next to Jim Farley. I'm going to send this podcast to him. He's going to get kicked Jim Farley is the only guy that I've known who can fart on command. Uh, I mean, actually, like when- A man's man. He was a man's <laughs> man. And he would do this thing where he, we both sat in the front row of Mr. Knoll's uh, Spanish class. And he would take a book, uh, a thick textbook, and sit on the textbook. Right? Okay. So he would sit on it. So the front part of the textbook is is under his knees because we were we we're little dudes.
1: Yeah, sure. And
0: and he would take and then he would take the textbook and kind of pull it up like you're pulling on the reins of a horse. <laughs> so what it does is it pulled really tightly against his butt. Sure. And he would he would fart, <laughs> and it, instead of being just a low rumble, it would go. <laughs> Really loud, echoing off this textbook, and he would lift his left leg. He would do whatever he could to make it really loud. And it's not like we we didn't care. Like oh, if we do this, the girls won't date us. It was way before you cared about girls. No, you didn't care. It was just about being obnoxious. (laughs) Yeah, and he would do it. He would look at (laughs) Mister Knoll and just go, and look, make eye contact, and Mister Knoll would say excuse me Mr. Farley do you have a problem he goes I just you know what I had a stomach ache I had to let it go and he goes you can do that outside and he goes mm, it's a lot more fun to do it in here
1: it was just like oh, my oh God. yeah it was crazy I say anyway, oh. anyway hey so uh, yeah. I, I have a, I'll have. make a promise to you while you are away on vacation yes. I will put some uh, ant bait in this room yes and I also <laughs> want to come back to some Swedish
0: fish right here in a bag All right, just we'll do for me alright
1: the truck show the truck
3: show the truck show whoa oh, oh. whoa
0: All right, make sure you send us an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. And
1: don't forget our socials, at truckshowpodcast, where you find social media. And thank you very much to our presenting sponsor, Nissan. Without whom? Without Nissan, we wouldn't have a truck show.